0: And we're back from our hiatus. We are doing a little bit of an experiment. We are watching a documentary for the first time. The Act of Killing is on the show. We're going to talk about that film as well as do documentaries belong in dead cinema society? A discussion to be had. Also, We are going to discuss a modern film, 2021 film, The Mauritanian, about a true story about a man who spent 14 years at Guantanamo Bay, seven of those years after being proven innocent. The third film in discussion today is uh, Don't Look Now. Um, Well, what do we say about this film? Well, why don't you just watch our conversation and, and, and see for yourself? It's Dead Cinema Society 21, and we're back.
1: <laughs> this film is all about wanting to be in someone else's skin.
0: It was the most piece of trash and film. I'm like, oh Like, what's
1: the cost of freedom? Have you seen this?
2: She's a fucking nutjob. No see that, but that was the first half hour of the movie. Okay, that's what I wanted.
0: Hey, guys.
1: Hi. Hi.
0: Took a little time apart, three weeks off.
1: I know, it was torturous.
0: What was more torturous, the time apart or watching these three films? It's um, a, a great discussion. Yeah, <laughs> these three films, for sure. Ah, oh, man. Yeah, so I just finished watching the act of killing like an hour ago. I was, I was telling you guys before we went on the air. What was the order... <laughs> Uh, You guys watched the films, and Paul, starting with you.
2: Uh, Mauritanian was first, and then Don't Look Now, and then I, too, wrapped up Active Killing today. I'd seen it before, and I will tell you, it just gets better with age.
0: I had, um, without giving away my opinions on the film, um, I had that thought as well while I was watching it, where it was like this is a film that you could watch several times for it to really seep into your being to really understand the sort of depth of it. Uh, Aaron, what was the order that you watched the films in?
1: Um, I actually started with the act of killing went to Mauritanian and finished. Don't look now this morning.
0: Yeah. And Chris, that's the exact order I watched them in. Now, now here's a general question that we've, I've never asked before. How do you guys generally determine the order of the films? Do you generally go, uh, like i guess the most common answer i could think of would be what's the one that's least resistant to me i'm gonna watch that one first what's the easiest watch i'm gonna watch that one first and then do you end with the one that you presume is going to be the heavy hitter
2: yes absolutely in fact um because even my wife said well, what are you watching i said well we're gonna watch a mauritanian which i would say at a very superficial level should be a well-boxed Hollywood movie she goes that sounds good I said all right we'll sit down and watch that (laughs) and then and then we and then she tried to stomach the don't look now with me um but for probably reasons for for very specific effects slash director reasons that appealed to me uh the story and its construction didn't appeal to her so she said okay I'll exit this one and then of course I was there was no way I was going to invite her to the act of killing um yeah because that is uh that's a that's an amazing movie and um, yeah, it'd be a little much.
0: Yeah. It's always an interesting experience to invite the significant other to join in on podcast films.
2: Yeah. No, no doubt about it. I'm trying, Cause it's funny as, as you brought up this question, I was thinking of other films where he said, hey, is that a popcorn one? Eh, this one isn't popcorn. I can't think of the darn title, but um, if we like, I think she would get a lot out of more like Dirk Bogart movies, some of his lighter stuff you know, the servant darling with Julie Christie that would appeal to my wife. Um uh But yeah, just, there were, there were yeah, a couple started, that we've watched.
0: <laughs> I started with the Mor- the Mauritanian as well for that same reason where I was like, well, Zuzu's with me. We have to watch a movie together. It's going to be the Mauritanian of these three for sure. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Good choice.
0: Yeah. She actually watched um Don't Look Now with me as well. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, her thoughts as well when we get to that film. But what about you, Chris, uh, when it comes to deciding the order that you watch the three films in?
3: Well, being the resident bachelor of DCS, uh,
0: <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I I usually decide uh, what's longest first, if I'm being honest, because I usually like to watch uh, the biggest one first to get it out of the way. Uh, <laughs> that way, God forbid, I get so busy that I have to watch A couple films like the day of, I'm not like screwing myself. Sure. So, Mortain actually was the longest. uh, So, I watched that first. And then, uh, Act of Killing, uh, I actually watched like the next day. And then I took like a week off and then watched Don't
0: Look Now this morning. Uh Yeah, it's a laborious effort that we. Um, take on every time we do this show there's there's absolute work involved in what we're doing
1: (laughs) Uh, well it's not even like
0: the the watching
3: of the film too. it it's like being able to soak it in and being able to be like okay i'll I'll sit with this for a little bit and i'm thankful that i did that for excuse me active killing because if i did what you did i would not be a happy boy right now
1: yeah Yeah. you wear well josh thank you very much (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah
0: yeah I don't look now, but I'm deceiving you with a smile. Yeah. Um, so uh, how's everyone doing? And we'll get into it real real quickly. I'll, I'll say real, right now that I'm uh, a week or so into Wait. living in... Yes, sir.
1: Oh, I didn't get to say how I watch my film. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please. No worries. I'll make this short and quick. If I know there's a heavy hitter coming, I will specifically plan that movie daytime. Because it just it just helps me a little bit. Like if I watch the act of killing before I go to bed, like it's just, it's just a different experience. So when Chris sent a message, like the act of killing, Oh my God. I was like, all right, that's a daytime movie for me. No, that's, um, that's absolutely right. I, I do the same
0: thing. Like, uh, I like actually prefer watching films in the morning than I do to watching films at night. I, I, like if you, if you watch a film with like a cup of coffee, way easier to to sort of put your your own personal emotions to the side and just ingest the ideas of the movie. Whereas at night, you're a little bit more lethargic. You're kind of ready to, you know, you've been through the day. You need something for you by the end of the day. The morning, you can, you can, you can kind of sit through something. So, so I do the same thing. If it's, if it's a movie that I know is going to cause me trouble, I'll do it in the morning.
1: Yeah, and then I watched the Mauritanian at night. And um, I'm glad I did. I think it had a different effect, you know, all the flashes. And we'll get into it, you know, the torture scene and stuff. If I watched that during the day, I don't think it would have been as uh, disorienting as me watching it at night and having the full effect of lights and stimulus coming at me. If I watched it in the day, it kind of wouldn't have had that effect. Um, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. What's the order of the films
3: today? Well, I want to uh, tell you. Then please do. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're going... <laughs> normally we go in an order of, uh, of year, but today we're, we're breaking it up a little bit just to kind of keep the conversation interesting. Uh, we're starting with The Mauritanian, a 2021 film. Our first current film i would argue of dead cinema society uh, and then we're moving down to 1973's don't look now uh, which is a kind of occult mystic horror movie we'll get into that one and then we're wrapping it up with our first documentary with the act of killing from 2012
0: fantastic
3: let's get into it yeah all right let's go into the mauritanian the mauritanian 2021 kevin mcdonald United Kingdom.
1: You silent.
2: They made me.
3: They made you as in they coerced you? What, what do you
1: think? I don't know. You tell me. Did they coerce you? But you gotta tell me what happened, Mohamedou.
3: You, you, you asked me to set fire to this place, but I'm still standing.
2: Let me write it down. Right, that's what the pages are for. Write it down. You need to tell me the truth. You need to tell me what happened to you. I, I can't defend you. Do you I, understand
3: me? I don't need to tell you nothing. Whatever I say, it doesn't matter. This fucking island, i die here. Outside, my family, my brother, th- th- their lives go on.
0: Terry's life goes on. But me here, I'm, I'm, I'm like a statue. Now you will leave too and your life will go on.
1: How do you know about my life? This is it. This is my life. I spend my time in places like this, helping people like you. That's what I do. I don't
2: question my commitment to your case. The case. The case. The case.
3: Yep. The Mauritanian uh, is a true story of one uh, Guantanamo Bay detainee. Uh, oh gosh, I'm going to, Mohamedou Safti, there we go, uh, who was unlawfully detained in Guant- Guantanamo Bay for 14 years. As Yoshi said in the cold open, it was seven years after the fact that he was found innocent. Uh, he basically had a very loose connection to the 9-11 terror attacks, but with the uh, Bush administration's kind of lifting of certain... Uh, laws. I won't go into too much of that. But that uh, He was able to be uh, specially interrogated and tortured over the course of eight years. Uh, a ACLU-sponsored uh, lawyer who is played by... Wow, I'm completely losing her name right now. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. Fine thank you so much. Oh, God. Uh, Jodie Foster plays his lawyer who eventually gets him out of Guantanamo Bay, uh, as we
0: learn in The Mauritanian. Cool, um, who would like to kick off the show? I will. All right, Chris, take it over.
3: I absolutely loved this movie. Oh, I thought it was excellent. I thought the movie uh, definitely was he, shows.
0: Hmm? Was it entertaining enough for you, Chris? I don't even think it,
3: it was. So it was entertaining in the way that I was. I was so interested because I, I knew. Uh, unfortunately, I knew he got out um so it wasn't necessarily like a suspense like is he or isn't he but the process with which he went about that was super interesting and it definitely shined a light on you know uh, unfortunately the failures of the american system when it comes to extraditional and uh kind of terror suspects uh i thought that the acting on a lot of the actors was subpar uh, specifically benedict cumberbatch and zachary levi <sighs> were horrible uh, every time I saw them on screen, I was like, someone get these people an accent coach because you guys are not pulling it off. But if we literally, and I wish he was here, if we left it with the interpreter and Muhammadu, and uh, wow, <laughs> I want to say Julia Louis-Dreyfus is so bad that I know that's wrong. <laughs> what is her name? Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. <laughs> thank you. With Jodie Foster and on, honestly a little bit Shailene Woodley, I would have been super happy. Dahar. But-
0: uh, let's, say, let's say Tahar played Tahar. What's Tahar's last name? Rendir, I believe. Tahar Rendir played Muhammadu. Um, Amazing. My friend. I, w- my friend. I want him to see every and every. I want him to be ev- everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and uh, I, I agree with you on some of the things you're saying, but I'll bite my tongue for my turn. Um, sure. Allah Safi is my friend who played the interpreter. And then um, who else did you mention that you liked?
3: I liked Shaylene Woodley like a little bit, even though she was kind of a wet blanket. Uh, but I mean, uh, the gentleman who played, uh, the, the, the kind of operator Kent was okay. Yeah. 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 But for all of that, I give the Mauritanian an
1: 8.4. Spicy rating.
3: It's a very spicy rating.
1: That's a spicy. It's a spicy
2: uh, I'm going to pass it to Paul. Well, thank you, Chris. I too, uh, you know, this is the movie, this was a challenging movie because I figure what we're gonna talk about is do we want movies that entertain us? And largely because of COVID fatigue, I kind of needed one. I needed a paint by the numbers, Hollywood, put it in a box, deliver it to me, make me feel good about the $40 I just spent. Obviously that would be if I went to a the theater to see it, but in the cozy confines of my home, I spent $20. We made popcorn. And it fulfilled my expectations. Now, of course, critically, this is a perfectly packaged Hollywood product for the Academy peers and the foreign press. And it has notes in it that probably will ring hollow for the rest of the reviewers here on Dead Cinema Society. But for pure entertainment purposes, a little bit, he said goodbye to COVID fatigue. I thought everybody showed up uh more than serviceable and it was entertaining which i think is a running thesis of our show of whether we put these entertaining movies here or not but for me much like chris it, it was north of eight and it was uh 8.3 hey paul oh, so my name on
0: me, ball.
2: me ball paul gives it an 8.3
3: very nice
2: and i will pass it to aaron
1: man Ah, howdy. <laughs> um, I'm back. Yeah, there was a helicopter going over my house, so I was like, I'm gonna mute that. Um, the Martinian, this, this was uh, a delightful ride for me. Unlike Chris, I had no idea of this story, so I had no idea how it was going to end, and you know, all the following cards where they give us details of what happened to him you know it It was always it was all a shock to me so you know this is kind of one of those movies where um it, it became a history lesson for me and a bit of an eye-opener if you will um i think it's a movie that everyone should see you know i mean it's in the theaters now i think it's uh a good movie we're We're not anywhere near a masterpiece. Um, the acting was really good with our main actor. I'm not gonna pretend to uh, uh, pronounce his name um but he he did phenomenal. I really like that I mean it's not easy to get tortured and really commit yourself all the way and um he really did um, and yeah, Cumberbatch was a miscast, so. So bad. Um, for all of that, I am going to give this film an ooh an eight point eight point one. Mm-hmm. Made it, made it. Yeah, nice. you guys are <laughs> all guys that are, fun. What's that? I said for all that fun, they gave me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you guys
0: are all kind of. Uh, in the same ballpark right now. Um, and I don't disagree with anything you guys have said so far. I think you guys pretty much hit all the notes. Um, and I agree with you all. You all. Um, there's nothing wrong with entertainment at all. Um, uh, I do I do think that this film falls way short of being a great piece of art. Um, <clears throat> but the acting of Tahar Rahim. Mm. Uh, is really what makes this film for me as high as it is. Uh, I don't think that it gets even higher than a seven for me without his performance. Um, For me, the film felt like there would have been, uh, it it maybe would have been more well-served as a documentary because it felt to me like it was basically just a presentation of information rather than a film film. Um, kind of just hitting all the all the marks to tell this story. It's an important story to be told. Um, I'm not at all shaming the efforts or or the the, the choice to make it um, a film rather than a documentary. But it did just feel like a presentation of information um, to me. With all that said, with the acting of Tahar, um, I did. Enjoy myself, and I give this film a 7.7. 7. All right,
3: <clears throat> nice, didn't go yeah. through, but that's fine.
0: That's because I'm used to not having to do that anymore. Oh <laughs> no, it's fine. We got the picture, Yoshi.
2: Okay, a <laughs> <laughs> classic that's what
3: I needed, Chris. What's the average? <laughs> I will tell you in a moment. Did I get did I get it? Did I snag it? I don't know. We'll find out. Come on. Hold Come on. on, I have to do this again because I'm not hundred percent sure certain that I added this correctly. So what I'll do is I'll just
1: Tahar. Tahar Rahim. Oh, I got Rahim. it. Yeah. Definitely check out the I Prophet.
0: Know. Yeah, the Prophet. Really, right. really great film and and he kinda of disappeared. A while, I feel like, from the limelight after that one.
3: All right, so the final score for the Mauritanian is an 8.1. Let's go! Yeah, exactly. Aaron Man, nice one. We're rocking the
2: 916, (laughs) (laughs) Aaron Man, all weekend long at Birdcage Mall. Oh my god, (laughs) thank you. Would the bird we birth more than just pavement here? <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> Musical tribute uh, there. Yeah.
0: Paul, you should do commercials for us. Um, <laughs> so my friend, Ala Safi, who is on The Chosen with me, will be joining us at a future time to give us some insight on the making of this film. He played the interrogator uh, in the film. Not the interrogator, I'm sorry, the interpreter. As uh, well as... Uh, as well as his sort of friend uh, that's in the neighboring outdoor cage uh, or whatever you want to call that fencing area um, so in the film when you get a glimpse of that character he's like a black man uh, but Allah who played the interpreter in the military uh, interrogations actually was the voice of that character so I'm not sure why they did it that way but a la play two different characters in the film yeah
2: that is a great talking point and i was so glad that you alerted us to him it was it was just you could not have timed that perfectly because uh if i were if you asked me right when you texted us that he'll be on our next show i'm like what stood out in the movie and i was like okay they used his voice on the other side of that fence now was that and I want to know that story, so I will allow you to ask him that question, but
0: we'll we'll have to ask him together when he comes on, because I don't really know the decision making on that one, but it is interesting because I don't know if it was intentional, and maybe this happened with you guys too, but for a minute there, I was thinking that the director wanted us to believe that the government was setting him up, and that this was, was actually the same character pretending to be someone else.
2: Yeah, you you mentioned it in your um, in your review and rating of the movie Yoshi, and I don't know if you've seen some of Kevin McDonald's other work, but yeah, this is, this is his his backyard is is documentary, um, and so it's interesting the the point you made about a lot of facts presented in a documentary like way. I actually enjoyed, and it allowed I think maybe some room for the actors to kind of s- tell us what was. How they were feeling both from our side and obviously the other side and you know maybe i don't want to get into it you know too hot right away but he's done some really good work i think he has a good handle on documentary film making uh, from some of the he's done one about the munich disaster the munich olympics with the mm. you know killing of the israeli uh wrestlers and of course he's done last king of scotland which you could argue had a you know kind of a documentary about Idi Amin and, um, and, and one other that the name escapes me, um, more recently, but yeah, you made a really good point. I thought it actually served the movie in various scenes. Of course, one in the interrogation scene that I would love to, I have lots of questions about that.
0: Questions for Allah, you mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, if we're, yeah, if you're, if I'm going to take the floor for a bit, because that scene Interestingly, uh, you know, I want to know, like, how it was constructed, because, um, you know, the U.S. intellectual military might has, you know, it's sort of, it's in the backdrop and the foreground of Guantanamo Bay, and I don't know what it was like for prisoners there, and putting four prisoners in this room and you know, allowing you know two guys from Langley to sort of back off. they don't have to be too hostile. We have an interpreter who um is to some degree you know could play both sides and then we have Tahir who has to who's you know like I want to know like how that scene was set up, what was going through the mind, what the director wanted because there was no need for anybody to go over the top on it um because of circumstances that I think we've read about, certainly after the fact, where it was just the threat of US military might was enough and you will get us what we want. And we're just trying to do this in a very folksy, very direct way. We're gonna feed you. We got an interpreter, someone who speaks your you know, native language. Let's just see if we can get the information out. So without that threat, it really allowed to hear, I think to, to play a little bit and um, our interpreter to play a little bit and allowed the Langley boys to back off of what we may have seen when somebody's in the box on a crime procedural show or any other movie where we've seen an interrogation sequence where it didn't need to be hot. And maybe because it wasn't hot enough for maybe you know, some of us here on the panel, maybe it, you know, it didn't allow the actors to really you know, find, a, you know, find maybe more breadth in, the, in, in their characters and in that scene. But I, I loved what I would love to know what McDonald, how he set that up. Like, there isn't a lot you need to do. It should just be that the this sort of existential threat is here. We just need to bring that life, even if that was like the fifth character, and it's up to everybody to sort of play their part. And I thought to hear was just great to just keep it nice and measured, you know, and to to allow us to feel through him what it must have been like for anyone to be grilled about nine eleven or dealings thereafter so it was i thought it was a really well done scene i'm sure the friend has a lot more details
0: yeah well, we'll definitely ask him all kinds of questions when he joins us next in a couple of weeks uh i was very familiar with this story through the radio lab series um on this particular story i listened to it years ago it's like a five or six part um podcast series that radio lab did um, radio lab kept it much more and maybe more information has come out since, which is why this film um, decided to paint, painted in much more obvious, innocent light. Uh, but Radiolab, when they did the series, they left it much more open to like, they're not sure who to believe mm. kind of thing. Um, so I found it interesting that Kevin McDonald and the people involved in this project basically took the position that, um, that, Mohamedou is in fact innocent. Now, obviously we can all agree that he wasn't, that that he wasn't handled properly. And if you're proven innocent in court, then he should not have been held there seven plus years after the fact. That's not really a question, but Radiolab as left-leaning as they are, they were admittingly not really sure who to believe. Um, <clears throat> so since we, Chris and I were familiar with the story, Aaron and Paul, let you, I'll start with you, Aaron, since you are just watching the film unfold, did yeah. you feel like he was innocent or guilty? Like how did that story progress for you?
1: Yeah, for me, it was, uh, innocent, you know, there's no reason he should have been held like that for so long, you know? Um, it just was a complete misuse of power. And not only that, I mean, just the Guantanamo Bay. I mean, it's those facts at the end where it was something like only seven of the 300 prisoners or something,
0: 700 prisoners,
1: seven of the 700 prisoners actually have, uh, charges on them. Right. Right. And three were acquitted. Yeah. So that like, that's just not okay. You know, like what? You know, it's like history is written by the winners and the rules are just, it's just dished out by, um, yeah, there's no there's no court of law or justice in that system. So, to me, it was, um, yeah, I, I took it. I mean, maybe that's how, I don't know anything about the story. So, the, the story painted me in the direction that he was innocent. So, that's what I believe just based off of how it was presented to me. But I don't know the details of this behind what this historically gave me. So,
0: I think that fictional character that they created—that was the one that Benedict Cumberbatch's character was sort of trying to pry information out of. You know, the friend that he would always see at these parties, Levi. Zachary Levi's character, which was not a real yeah. person. Um, he he sort of they used that character to essentially say that we don't really like need anyone to be truly guilty but somebody has to pay the price for what these other people did and so basically if that is the truth of what the government was feeling and 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 what they were trying to achieve they were just essentially torturing people until somebody uh, admitted that they were you know guilty of of these charges and so their mindset according to the film was someone needs to pay let's just find somebody who's closely enough related to the scenario who we can make pay
2: yeah and i think obviously it played out in the church scene we've seen that you know where i'm gonna see i'm gonna you know you, you make sure he pays for it. you know one of those things and, I, and i'm sure the actors get their poor lines and they're like oh my god i gotta be the shrew i gotta be the shrilly uh uh widow okay all right let me see if i can maybe maybe they'll give me some room here um yeah it's yeah it's sort of uh kind of makes you cringe a little bit but it's sort of the necessary part but it also informs a much larger theme that you just touched on which is um yeah were we deep into some biblical retribution okay eye for an eye we've got to just find just find a, a living body that will admit to this and now we can uh you know put this on the american public we have found it we found our answer this extrajudicial thing as you know chris pointed out at the top of the show this worked you know, this, uh, extra military effort, this all worked. And, uh, you know, again, you're not, you're still not healing lives as a result of this, you know, finding <laughs> a handful of people out of 700 detainees that might've, you know, been loosely connected with this. And I, I to your point, Yoshi, you know, if, I, if I'm answering it is, is, um, I love the, I love the duplicity. I love the fact we couldn't quite. And I think and I would say that if you're the performer as well, you're an actor, you want that duplicity going in. You get, that gives you a midline and you get to be on one side or the other. You can't quite explain away why you're taking a call or what you're doing in Germany or why you're deleting your phone or, you know, and it's, and he's savvy enough to know what his local police is like. And he has to imagine as he magnif- you know, sort of pulls back from that and realizes if this escalates and I'm shipped out of here, and I'm exported to some godforsaken island in the middle of the ocean this could get really really bad because I know how it is in my backyard so I I loved that he got to nuance that because we didn't know if he was right or wrong he was in really bad circumstances and I think it it helped our lead inform the story and it certainly I'm sure it was a hand if not heavy really heavy from Kevin the director who said yeah this is what I want to do because he's obviously got documentaries in background he wants us to have that conversation so i think it's a really fitting question that you just presented
0: i think it could have been more nuanced i, I, I what the what the radio lab series achieved if we're looking at it as a story being told as an audience member of that story, every podcast episode ended with me having a different opinion of this man. So one podcast episode would end, and I would be like, this guy actually did plan 9-11. And then the next one would end, and I'd be like, oh, this dude's innocent. And the reason why it unfolded like that is because the reporters of Radiolab actually were having this real authentic experience where they would uncover new information and then do a show, and they would, through that information, Think that this guy was guilty and then uncovered more information on the next episode, because this was live reporting essentially every time they were doing these podcast episodes. And that new information would then make them think that he was innocent. And I think that this film could have served because you would say, okay, well, you know, they shouldn't take a real story and like infringe upon the realities of the story just to make it more dramatic. But the story actually could have been more dramatic because. It wasn't entirely obvious when they were trying to uncover the truth of the situation if this man was innocent or guilty. For instance, one of the things that the Radio Lab podcast—and it's been a year since I listened to it—but I remember one of the things that they uncovered that made them think otherwise about this man's innocence was that he worked on Osama bin Laden's farm for years, essentially picking, uh, working the heroin fields. I think is what it was. I don't know. He was he was working the farm of Osama bin Laden. Uh, one of Osama bin Laden's farm, because Osama bin Laden was a huge farm guy. He liked agriculture and he liked farming. And so he was more closely associated with Osama bin Laden than the movie even leads on. So that's why I have more questions as the audience as to like, you know, like, yes, if I'm to believe the film, this man is totally innocent. Um, regardless of how much he is involved this September 11th, I don't agree with the tactics of the U.S. military you know being just like the enemy and you know torturing this man relentlessly and you know i don't know if there's any truth to the uh, the rape like they they yep. rape him is mm-hmm. that true like yep. a girl raped him in jail mm-hmm. i mean in uh, in Guantanamo like, Funny you know, like well it, she raped him but it was also like to
3: basically get into his brain as a man and saying like you can't get it up kind of thing
0: but this is this is you know it's interesting cuz once again we have films that we're watching that are somehow related to each other that is not by design but like it makes me think of like the question of cruelty versus sadism which is brought in in the act of killing um but those were those were sadistic scenarios that our, our government uh on you know used against these Guantanamo Bay uh prisoners like yeah. truly sadistic that's like mm-hmm. who, who thinks of that shit man <laughs> Soldiers in the US military. Yeah. Anything to get them to and then of course what was interesting too is you get to see how the torturers also want it to be over. Because they're they're also their psyches are being affected as well. They're taking orders from up top to inflict this pain on this man. And they have, you know, who who knows how true any of this is, but the way that the story in this movie is that they want it to be over too. They're like, come on, just please say you did it. I don't want to keep raping you. (laughs) Like, what the fuck?
2: Yeah, I mean, you had... It was great because I I loved where it came from. They probably, having cycled through this umpteen times, they saw the fruitlessness of this, and they're like, you know, there's... there. I think that's what, for me, registered as just real moments. Like, this isn't some line that is in an interrogation manual in the basement of Langley. This is a guy genuinely saying, hey, listen, let's get this thing over. Let's move along because it's you know because what it was for me is that look we've got other detainees we've got to cycle through and we've got to start this whole process over and i am a human being i'm going to get eight hours of rest tonight i'm going to get three you know three meals i'm going to be fine but i'm actually losing patience with all this let's just move this along without undue force obviously we're going to leave that to the military to do what they want but uh yeah but but uh, you know the point you make i mean i love what you're offering about radio lab but again you know here we are in the context of Hollywood and. You know, we can't turn this into a three hour, three and a half hour movie. Then we're in a documentary, which I'm sure McDonald can do expertly well. But to put all of this in a box and at least leave us with the impression like good or bad. um, Is there more to the story to get us all to go to the library or Amazon and buy a book and get get deep into his autobiography and all the attendant circumstances? I mean, I think, you know, I think for that reason, you know, he did his job among among a few.
0: Chris, being uh, familiar with the story prior to it, what was your experience watching the film and politically speaking, how do you feel afterwards as far as, uh, you know, how how it unfolded and how much you believe and don't believe? Well, I believe all of it because all of it is true. Um, unfortunate as it is, I mean this
3: happens even today at Guantanamo Bay. Uh these, these I mean not to the same level obviously because the enhanced interrogation techniques were ratcheted down. But shit still happens. I mean, waterboarding is still not technically uh illegal. Uh also you have to consider what Gitmo is. It is a US military base that is outside of the jurisdiction of the continental United States so and and these people aren't citizens of the united states so they are not protected by the same rights that we are there is a you know geneva convention article about prisoners of war and what you can do to them it's broken every day um historically at guantanamo bay uh they have used enhanced interrogation techniques on many 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 people uh they get confessions but as we learned through this movie and as you learned throughout history is if you torture someone they'll say something It's not going to be true, but they'll say it to get it to stop. And as we saw in the movie, he confesses to 9-11 to get them to stop doing what they're doing to him.
0: And And he confessed to – I think it was hinted at that he confessed to being behind the millennial – the planned millennial attack, which they suspected him of being involved in, of being sent to – because one of the things that um, groups like Al-Qaeda and terrorist groups would do is they would – have their members essentially claim to be disassociated with the group they would move far away but they would still be like a secret plant somewhere else so that's how they would kind of spread their tentacles and so our man Mohammadi moved to Quebec i believe it was for a number of years and that is and the mosque that he was um serving uh because he's uh what's it, is it a hafti someone who memorizes the quran hafti, yeah. so he hit yeah so he had memorized the quran so he was doing service in quebec spreading the message of the quran but the very temple that he was preaching at one of its members was the man who was stopped on the border coming into america to blow up lax for the yep. millennial attack not to cut you off
3: yeah i mean that's i mean i was pretty much finished i mean th- this type of thing happens every day and i, I don't I don't really necessarily. I, I, I believe him. Uh, I mean, we also have the context of time that we're dealing with too. Uh, I'm imagining the radio labs uh, production as it was coming out. They, they weren't getting the whole story and which is why their, their opinions kind of shifted uh, with anything like this and anything to do with the government, everything's classified. I mean, even his book that was published after the fact, as we, as we saw in the credits is heavily redacted. Um, and it's, it, it's unfortunate. And having, having been uh, adjacent to the military, they really bring up these feelings. And it's, it's much easier to do these torturous things to people when you don't view them as people. And unfortunate as it
0: is, they still teach that. Yeah, the sort of hypocrisies of our, uh, our great country are sort of exposed there. You know, I mean, yeah. Obama, for instance, the, one of the biggest merits he ran on was that he was going to shut down Guantanamo. Of course, that was a complete lie. And that's just one of the... I think that was a big part of why he even won. And that was a, a lie. He knew that was a lie from the get-go. He was never going to shut that place down. I mean, he, he ensured that it remained an operational facility for those seven-plus years after he was proven innocent. Uh, you know, Obama could have let that man go free, mm-hmm. even if he didn't shut down the whole thing. But he, he could have went in and said, hey... This man was proven innocent. Why are we keeping him there? He didn't give a fuck. Didn't he let him out in the end, though? Because he he got out in 2016, yeah, seven years after he was proven innocent, right?
3: But I, I, I'm I'm not saying that it wasn't. wrong. I'm saying that he did get out under the Obama administration, though.
0: Yeah, but I mean, what? But better late than never. Is that the? Is oh that no, I'm what? just
3: I'm bringing up what what happened. Sure.
0: Yeah, you see, it was still under their administration, but yeah. maybe, maybe from pressure, I don't know, maybe because the book was selling well, like, you maybe. know, in, in, he was getting pressure. But the, it's just the hypocrisy because, right, because then you have Obama who admitted that not having a plan the day after Gaddafi was overtaken was a mistake. But it's like, did he not learn anything from the Bush administration? And then he still tried to overthrow um, Assad not, yeah. in, in Syria. And if it wasn't for us, the people speaking out against that war against Syria, Obama would have happily have gone to war with Syria. But if you want to look to an example of a a shining example of us as a country coming together to stop a war, it's that moment where we said, fuck, no, we're not going to war with Syria. Um, But then instead he said, "Okay, well, then I'll fund al Qaeda and ISIS to overthrow Syria. And that's essentially what Obama did. And so the hypocrisy there is that you have this film about...
3: Are you confusing Al-Qaeda with the Kurds?
0: No. Al-Qaeda didn't,
3: and, I don't think we gave money to Al-Qaeda, but maybe... Al-Qaeda
0: and ISIS were largely... Uh, well, they were, were attacking
3: each other, yes, but I don't think we funded them.
0: Well, we funded the, the rebel group that was essentially trying to take over Syria, the Syrian government, and that was largely Al-Qaeda and ISIS.
3: I... I don't know enough to refute that but I don't necessarily think that's true because if Obama giving money to al-Qaeda I mean he, he that would have been
0: like front page news
3: it everyone coming been. it should have been. I'll I'll look that up keep going.
0: Yeah please please fact check me on that one I hope I'm not wrong about that but I I, I believe I've read that many times and I've seen that in my research but uh the the hypocrisy of that would be that Obama administration, Bush administration, our government, let's just say our government, put all this effort into finding out who was assisting al-Qaeda in September 11th and torturing them for many years to figure this out. Only two years later, fund that same group for their own benefit in taking over Syria. So it's just like, it's, it's just like when it benefits you, it's okay, but when it benefits them, it's not. Um, while Chris fact checks that, You're we'll right. get back. To, we'll get out of. I'm right.
3: You're right. Uh, CIA operation Timber Sycamore. President Barack Obama secretly authorized the United, the CIA to begin arming Syria's embattled rebels in 2013. In 2017, U.S. officials stated that with extreme certainty that Timber Sycamore would be phased
0: out as possible funds were being redirected to at that point ISIL. Which is was ISIS and, and Al Qaeda working together to over, overthrow yep. the Syrian government. So so that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is our government for you. We'll torture you for 14 years on an island in Cuba because you worked for the enemy. But that enemy is going to become our friend in a few years because we have an enemy that's similar now. And so it's like, who's the good guys here? Well, I mean, do you really like blame these countries for hating America when we spend like twenty years bombing the Middle East?
3: <laughs> so it's been more than twenty years at this point.
0: Yeah, more than twenty okay, years. I mean totally. we 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 have seven plus Middle Eastern yeah. countries that we've funded uh, regime takeovers. Like it's
3: Well we'll get into this in the other discussions, but we've been doing this not even in the Middle East since nineteen forty six. Those like, French need
2: to get out of Vietnam.
3: Oh yeah, bad. the Viet- whole Vietnam whole Vietnam War. They're evil people. <laughs> Vietnam, Cuba. L- list every potential communist country since nineteen forty five and we have been there.
0: Yeah. South America as well. Indonesia.
3: In Indonesia,
2: classic.
0: Yeah. Oh man, yeah, that's that and with that conversation's coming up. Like yep. Like and and that's why this show is incredible. Again, I've said this ad nauseum, but like when I was watching Act of Killing, I had already seen this film, and so that was still with me. And I was like, "Wow, like the the whole Act of Killing thing is totally influenced from Western culture and from Western like ways of doing things." So uh, to to try to orient the conversation a little away from politics and back towards like the film itself, um, the reason why I feel like it was a little too documentarian for my liking is the film was best. I think we can all agree is when Tahar was on screen, right? Yeah. Well, there were certain cuts away from Tahar's performance that were in service of this documentary style that if you would have just bersonned it and kept the camera on Tahar for like five straight minutes, like I feel like that act Tahar was robbed of some great moments because I wanted him, I wanted to milk the performance more, but we kept cutting away to Jodie Foster. We kept cutting away to other people. Every time we were on Benedict Cumberbatch scenes and all these other scenes, I was just slowly fading away from the film. The more Tahar, the better for me. What did you guys think? I want to bring this up really quickly and it might've
3: been just how I was watching it, but did anybody else notice the constant aspect ratio changes?
1: Yeah. They did that for time-lapse, you know,
3: but that's so weird. Like when he's first getting brought in, it's it's a square or four by three uh, ratio. And then they do widescreen four by three widescreen. And it's like, what technically, why does that matter? Was it intentional? Was it made us to like focus on one thing? And it typically was in when you're in Gitmo uh, and like in the past almost where it was like everything's kind of
0: square. Are they like, trying to get it? To feel like security camera footage, or, or what? no, I no. think
1: you are doing aspect ratio of what a television would show in the year two thousand or the year two thousand one. That so makes like sense. Two thousand one. Okay, now we're in two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand three. Okay, now we're back to real, you know, present time. Boom. Interesting choice. Yeah, I I don't know if I really cared for it though like it i saw it too chris and it was like it was not enough like i would prefer some other techniques you know maybe a a vignette or a smoky lens i don't know whatever to signify we're like back film in. no years. you want to make it a film noir <laughs> yeah give me some film let's uh take away the color let's uh do some harsh contrasty lighting let's get some some shutters and then open them slightly
3: and then light them from back. (laughs) Yes,
1: exactly. That's what I want. But yeah, I mean, I think, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch was a miscast. I mean, there's a hundred other amazing actors we could have put in that role. Yeah. And it was very obvious that this was a, a, uh, huge hurdle for him to figure out this accent. And I don't want to see an actor at this level struggling maybe not struggling I mean he he did it okay struggling
0: I don't think think he was struggling at all I think he did great I think that it literally is just a miscast because Mm. we the audience know Benedict Cumberbatch too well yeah he's too known Yeah, we we can't believe this. And if we have any suspension of disbelief at any point, it's going to hurt the film. And that's what happens when you miscast a British man that we all know very well doing this deep southern accent, a character that he can't relate to at the end of the day. He can't relate to this guy.
1: Yeah. Like, why are you there? Like, that's not that's not your history. That's not your person like. Just why? Why did they cast him? I don't. I don't get that. Because it's a
0: Hollywood picture. Hollywood picture. Cumberbatch on the poster sells tickets, and that's it.
1: But there's more. There's so many other actors that sell tickets. You know. But this is
2: this was this is this was the offering for Academy peers, Academy judges, Academy votes. This this had to have somebody who was Academy Award winning or Academy Award nominated as they went through the whole thing, and he of course qualifies with. Uh, geez, does he qualify with both BAFTA and
1: Academy oh Award?
2: Yeah, because it's a UK film. UK film.
1: Yeah, so, but uh, he's not winning any awards for this. For he this doesn't, one. this is not a performance that's like, oh wow did you see him in that? No, he's he's a supporting character to this, you know it's just a move along of plot and honestly, if he's not in the film it's still a great film it's still, or if not better you know, like it's He's not an accessory to this film, and I really don't see why he was there.
0: Well, he's there because of money, but yes, this type of a role, show me a no-name. I want a no-name actor in this role. I want to believe that this guy experienced something along these lines. I want him in that black American hat you're wearing with that black American flag behind you.
1: I'm ready. Let's go. Now give me. Your no, you know who needed actor. this role? Give me
3: wait, something wait, gravelly
2: and hickory in your voice and break <laughs> it down here. It's <laughs> 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 Martinian. You know, is Martinian Yo, you know
1: who needs this role? Who's that? Shout out to Sal Landy. He should have booked this. Sal Landy would have killed this role. I think but he's so. A, he's a New Yorker, though. He's a New Yorker, but it's still it didn't have to be a Southern guy. It could have been a new, you know, it just needed to be a hard ass military top general kind of situation. I want to see somebody like Sal Landy, where he is a hard ass. He's going after the guy. You know, he doesn't care who takes the fall, but then he sees some evidence and you get to see an emotional change. I just, I didn't buy this guy.
0: He wasn't necessarily a hard ass, though. And it was an interesting sort of microcosm story going on within the film of that character essentially. He thought he was chasing a real bad guy from the from the jump. you know his friend was one of the pilots on September 11th that was killed. His throat was slit moments before they hit the tower. So for him, he's seeking real justice. and as soon as he finds out that there's anything fishy, you know he he's out. you know so that guy was morally clean in this in this situation. He wasn't this kind of like hard nosed military man who's willing to do whatever he has to do. To fight these
1: terrorists yeah I just didn't I even when he found out it was his friend and they were at the funeral uh, there was something missing I, I didn't feel the emotion on him no I I, I, I I didn't feel him take it you know it's like I just I needed better performance there and I I don't know if he was trying to be subtle about it but to me it didn't land I didn't feel anything from him in those moments Aaron seen that stick stuck with you the most the scene that stuck with me the most. Oh man! Um,
0: or if anyone is ready with that question, go. Yeah, I one. need
1: some. I need some seconds here <laughs> to think.
2: Uh, just when he's pulled out of the party, uh, I loved it. And unfortunately, it's probably Homeland influenced our Showtime. My Showtime favorite, but there's nothing. Uh, it's such a realistic moment if you've been in a foreign country and been with uh police who were smoking cigarettes and throwing them on the ground just his heart racing his mother knowing that this might be the last time i see my son just how corrupt your local government is i mean it was just stand out because he's he's just sort of he's trying to negotiate with local law enforcement (laughs) you you, (laughs) you, there's no chance you know somebody's going to be joining you in your car on the way to the station um, so that was just a standout, really set the tone. And it was interesting because to a degree, that small itty bitty scene might not have, that tonally might not have been captured in other parts of the movie. Again, up for argument, but just great.
1: Yeah, for I got a
2: me,
0: scene actually. Uh, oh, for, me, for me, I think uh, the scenes that stuck out the most wa- was was when he was being interrogated by those two, uh, public officials. I don't know what positions they held, but the black man and the, and the white man, the black man who smokes the cigarettes and the and the and the white guy, the kind of good guy, CIA. Yeah. So the, the the scenes between them three and Allah, my friend who played the interpreter. I think whenever they were in that room, things were really heating up and felt like it was the best acting of the movie. One hundred percent. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I, even those two CIA agents were doing great performances, and I love just how like there was moments where like they were like kind of buddies because like they could sense that this guy was just like a smart dude, and it's like there's just moments in that room where it's like they don't, no one even wants to be doing their assigned duties. Say it. Keep saying it. That's it. They just that want is to it. Be, you know buddies or 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 like yeah. you know wash wash their hands clean of of all this but they have jobs that they have to do and everyone's kind of stuck in this turning wheel
2: 100% 100% 100% <laughs> 100% because there was no fist pounding and table slamming work threatening you it was like this is some chapter in a dog-eared section of a CIA manual that they they read and they go we're never going to be like that. We're going to, we're going to bound these people. And then all of a sudden you get to that moment. You're like, no, you're going to become their friends. And that's the most powerful thing. You're going to empower this man to a point where he goes, I have to do something. You'll try. That might be up to the military. Mike, but I think you captured it perfectly. Yoshi. That, that is exactly it. That like, I want to know about what he, what he walked into, into that scene, the four of them. Like, yeah, there was some agreement. There was no need for anybody to push. To hear have the reins, he could sort of control us emotionally, and he could be duplicitous and just kind of walk the line and maybe give us flashes of guilt and not so guilty. Um, and yeah, it was great.
0: Yeah,
2: I wanted more
0: of that. Same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any Aaron, you got one?
1: Yeah, I got. You know, there is a scene that stuck with me, and it's not particularly some banger of an acting sing, uh, scene, but. I do want to give some credit to Jodie Foster because I, I do like her character and seeing the real images of who defended this man in real life, it was like, wow, look at that casting. That was incredible. And one of the scenes that stuck out with me, uh, with uh, Jodie Foster was they were having a beer, you know, and like a bunch of the military guys are in the background surfing on waves and they're drinking like whatever, a Mai Tai in this in this room kind of talking about this case and she's like you know what's funny about this is like a hundred years from now people are going to be sipping my ties and visiting this place as if it was like an attraction like do you remember when america did this it's kind of like an alcatraz yeah exactly yep there you go it's like alcatraz it's like we're we're gonna all visit go in the cells and oh man, do you remember this story? And look at all the history here. And it's like, she's just laughing. It's like, here I am sipping this drink on base here. And it's like, what what is this? Like, this is embarrassing. I can't believe that this is okay right now where I am in history. And I know in 50 years or hundred years, this is gonna be an attraction. It's like, how can this exist? And that scene, although very subtle, the writers did a great job because those lines stuck with me. And now I have that image of Guantanamo Bay and, you know, going there with family and going through the cells. It's like, I have that image in my head, like, oh yeah, that's probably going to be a thing one day. Honey, uh, the U
0: S government um, made this base here because they didn't have to follow any laws and they could easily torture people and, and, and almost kill them. It was crazy just 20 years (laughs) ago, honey. You want a mommy, souvenir? Mommy, can
3: I go sit in the four-speed two chair?
2: <laughs> Jesus! Yeah, the tour guy. Um, we, like, we got mugs. We got mugs. Everybody, Bay mug. We detained well over six hundred of those camel riding mother. <laughs>
1: don't don't feed the here. iguanas. <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. feed the iguanas. I love it.
3: I'll, I'll say this and then I think we're going to wrap it up, I believe, is where you're going with that. But uh, I, I'm not going to say who I know, uh, but I know someone who is a military interrogator and none of the things that in this movie are effective at all. Uh, and they actually tell you to very calmly just be friends with them because you get more out of being like, hey, where are you from, man? Because most of these terrorists aren't rich their families are very poor and they turn to this life as like a last ditch effort to mean something or to do something. And if you say, Oh yeah, if you, you cooperate, we'll, you know, maybe put you on the list for a visa for you and your family. And that's enough for them to be like, wait a minute, you, you're going to let me be a citizen. And they're like, yeah, just give us some names and then we'll let you go. And like, yeah, they'll have to serve some time because like, you know, whatever crime they did or whatever. But if you give them a little honey instead of some vinegar, you catch more bees. And that's what I've heard from most people that are in that position. It's just like, if you be nice and don't beat people up or torture them, most of the time they'll agree with you.
1: But that's not how we do it in the Bay, Chris. Well, that's
3: it's not effective. <laughs> not in but the
1: GB, Chris. Not in the... I the think that
0: that is an elegant way to wrap up the conversation, Chris. Um, so, great conversation, guys. That is... Yep. An eight point one for the Mauritanian.
3: Write that it's one down. Two Paul. pit stains out of two. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look now. Nineteen seventy-three. Nicholas Rogue. The United Kingdom. Wait. <laughs>
0: Wait.
1: <laughs> The
0: music...
3: I love it, man. Uh, in case you-
1: Let's show it again. No, don't Prince, you, just- you really?
0: You really went for the jugular there. I'm choosing a clip. <laughs> well, Yoshi, I don't
3: want to get into my review too too soon, oh, but I man. chose the most interesting scene.
0: Anyway, uh, I want to tell you that uh, when I watch these films with Zuzu, I try to imitate you guys on what you're going to say, and oh she boy. does it as well. Actually, she's really good at it. But uh, we both agreed that you were going to hate this film. <laughs> well, uh,
3: <laughs> we'll get into it afterwards. Uh, Don't Look Now is a 1973 film from Nicholas Rogue. Uh, it is a kind of occult, psychedelic thriller type movie. Uh, it stars Donald Sutherland and Lisa Carlyle, I believe her name is. Castile. Excuse me, Lisa Castile. Uh, am I saying that wrong, Paul? Well, Julie Christie, I yeah. think got Julie Christie. Jesus, that's okay. I'm I'm losing it today, man. Okay. I'm sorry. You're good. Uh, You're good. Sorry, Donald Sutherland and an actress.
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the venerable, yes, I love it.
3: Yes, yeah, so the. The story follows this. uh, I believe he is a restorist uh, for uh, churches. Uh, As he goes to Venice, uh, we learn early on that he has a a child who has died, a daughter who drowned uh, outside of their England home, and he is haunted, both he and the wife, by the memory of that. Uh, And as he's working on a church in Venice, a direct uh, kind of archbishop's church project, uh, things start to go wrong. Uh, His wife, who is also grief-stricken, meets these two psychics. Uh... She leads them on a kind of goose chase throughout Venice, trying to figure out what's happening. Uh, He is very much not convinced that the existence of psychic nature believes it's all bullcrap. And then he starts to see things uh, leading to the end, which is this scene where he finds out that he's actually seeing premonitions of his own death. Uh, And the film ends with his funeral uh, as everything that he was seeing, a little girl. Uh, a splash of water, a bunch of blood comes to fruition as he is murdered by a dwarf, which is bananas. That is, don't look now. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> it is bananas. Don't look now.
0: Yeah. So uh, I went last, so I'll start yep. us off. Um, <clears throat> don't look now. Okay. I. <laughs> I don't remember how, I think the reason this got into the wheel was um, like a long time ago, I was uh, reading something that Ari Aster was writing about his influences for Hereditary. Mm-hmm. And I think that this was one of his big influences. So okay. I think that's how this made it in. Um, <clears throat> but like all three of the films are like two, of, like this film and the act of killing. I went into this not knowing at all <clears throat> what I was about to watch. So I had zero expectations. I had no idea that it was even a horror film. Uh, it's not really a horror film anyways, though. It's it's just kind of like a... a it's barely set, a thriller. Barely a thriller, yeah. So I was expecting it to be much more jumpy. Um, as the film started going, I was like, oh, this is going to be... like, It's going to get fucking wild. And I kind of wanted it to get wild. And it didn't really get wild at all. Um, my initial... Reaction when the film ended was, I fucking hated this movie. Um, but this was one of the films, one of those films where I woke up the next day thinking more about it, asking more questions about it. I started reading a little bit about it. Um, and I do like some of the ideas that were that were explored, um, and some of the techniques were interesting. But... Overall, I think the 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 z- too much zooming, too much quick cutting, just overdone. Like it was a little too experimental for my liking, um, and I just don't think that it was successfully um, alchemized, if you will. And with that being said, I give. Don't look now, a six point seven. Okay. Okay.
3: Right. And I pass it to Chris. I was like, you want to bring the fire first? <laughs> yeah, let's bring the fire. Oh my God, this movie, man. Burn it down. There are times in which I'm watching a film where I can excuse bad filmmaking from the past because it's, it's very hard to make a film. Uh, I've tried and failed. It is hard films are hard to do it takes a lot of people a lot of time and a lot of effort and quite honestly a lot of luck this movie sucks (laughs) i hate this movie i was watching it actively hating this movie donald sutherland is a great actor god rest his soul he he's a liar i thought he was dead
0: no he was just in a series with nicole kidman that zuzu and my mom loves I thought he looks anyway. dead though. He well, no, I,
3: I I thought he died. Oh, uh, who's the uh, Easy Rider? Uh,
1: uh, oh,
3: oh, that guy. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking dead. about though. Yeah. Uh, he was the pirate in Waterworld. Uh, Dennis Hopper. Yes, Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. Uh, so I uh, he sucks in this movie. There there is not a good actor in this movie. Oh. I'm sorry. Like this is a this is a early 70s jerk-off fest and uh, Please tell me and I I I will I will stop my answer to say where in this movie does there belong a sex scene?
1: That's what makes it great.
3: No, it's so bad It's literally just thrown in there and I did the research and it was thrown in there at the last minute and it was so Terrible that I'm going to give this ranking the ranking it deserves in my opinion and you cannot (laughs) tell me anything else uh, I, I got He's so anxious,
2: take the matches, <laughs> get the matches out of his hand.
3: Oh my this God.
0: This has phase four vibe. Oh, my, oh that's right. uh, I, uh, I was yeah. going to
2: lead with phase four. I'm like, Oh my God. It's funny that you say that the zero is this. the bottom number. The zero is the bottom number on your phone. Excuse me. Sorry. I,
3: no, no, no. I am very cognizant that phase four is the bottom of our list. So therefore it should be the basis for which we should judge things. And oh, that right. being said, I'm going to give it the exact same score I gave to phase four, which is a 3.9 whoa which is oh. not showing up for some reason but it's a three because, it, because swift polling
0: is like calm down chris <laughs>
2: come back, come back. <laughs> exactly no. come on
0: even even swift, no po- even swift polling thinks you're being too harsh no okay.
3: i'm not it, it got the exact thing that it deserved and it okay. showed up on
0: there 3.9 wow who are you passing it to I'll pass it to Paul because
3: Aaron's going to bring some uh, some whatever to this. But I'm Paul. <laughs> Paul. Paul. Not saying shitting on Aaron, but Paul has been contradicting, and I want to hear what he has to say.
2: <laughs> no, I'm just going to channel Zoo. Yeah. Um, she would be saying something like, "Paul's going to find something good about this movie." <laughs> Um, he's going he's to read the book. <laughs> he's going to read the book. He's going to get deep into Nicholas Ruggs' canon and realize he was a cinematographer in some really sort of groundbreaking British films. He's probably a David Bowie fan. Yeah, he's... Okay. Keep it going. Yeah, keep it so, going. Keep I mean, so so, it going. and I And I feel like he'll be... I think when... When when the love of my life speaks, Paul will hear the words idea and experimental, and he'll hear the phrase that Yoshi slept on this movie, which is exactly what I did, because I my wife walked away. She goes, Oh my god, I think I've seen this and this is not going well. I said, This is and I'm Thank trying you, to tell Angel. Him, this is British, a cult, you know, cult classic thriller, whatever I don't even know the genre, but honey. It's got, look at the sex scene. She's like, oh, God, the sex scene's driving me nuts. <laughs> but I'm like, but I'm right there. I'm hanging in there because when I finished this movie, I said, this movie influenced some directors that we like because they looked at, like, and I don't know what it is. That's why I always defer to Chris and Aaron and Yoshi on directing and editing because it's a little beyond me, but I loved that experimental quality to this movie. And I thought Sutherland glued this thing together. I did not find him flat at all. I think he filled frames. There are moments when Julie's in the foreground, he's in the background, and he is keeping himself busy. It was like Steve McQueen esque <laughs> in The Magnificent Seven. It was great. I thought he kept this thing going. Um, unfortunately, you know given some of the scenes, which I'm sure we'll, we'll delve into. But I, like Yoshi, felt this was not quite a seven. Oh, God. Definitely north of a definitely north this, of six. Paul. And because of the sexual content. <laughs> 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 the sexual content Paul's going to get. Oh, is it not working here? Oh, my God. Here we go. Hold on. Because of the sexual content. It's going to get because of the sexual content. oh a 69! Oh <laughs> Where is this, it
3: there? You're wrong, but I appreciate the 69. Okay, uh-huh. good. Reverse
0: that and give me I, that bitch. I, I agree with you, Chris, that on the sex scene being really dumb. and finish us off.
3: Oh Yes, yeah, like the sex scene. Boy.
1: <laughs> what, a, what a film, guys. Um, yeah, I don't know who brought us this one. Um, but let's just start with saying... Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie actually had incredible chemistry together. And I did appreciate their acting as wild as the writing is. And as shitty as I don't think the dialogue shitty. I thought the dialogue between them was beautiful, but just the plot line was like, I mean, Donald Sutherland dude, Donald Sutherland locked the gate for no reason.
3: Exactly, like, exactly, what? exactly. What? exactly. What? I, well,
1: uh, oh, so sorry, Aaron. A- I'm so sorry. We'll, yeah. we'll get into it. Yeah, we'll but get into some, it. We'll, there's some choices here where it just constantly was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, just, you know, a very uh, volatile feeling I- inside. Um, but honestly, some of the most natural um, uh, relationship, marriage acting I've seen. And I mean, they sold they sold it so well. I was like, I don't know how either of these people are in a relationship or married as this movie is taking place because they are so their inhibitions are so out the door and they are so present with each other in this marriage. It just felt so real. And because of that aspect of this film, I will be giving this film uh, right there six point five I've never heard I've never
0: heard so many compliments for a film with such so low right?
1: <laughs> oh but the plot the plot <laughs> yeah,
0: it just, saying, I, the
1: plot is so bad I mean just the the accidents <laughs> that happen and all this just there was just there's so much to not like about this film that even their beautiful acting which was very inspirational. It's just the rest of the film is just trash. Well, this trash film gets a six. (laughs) Good. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, that's where it belongs. Yep. Belongs in the D category.
0: Yeah. So uh, don't look now. Don't watch now either. (laughs) Don't watch now. It's interesting um, that the acting was kind of saving grace for you, Aaron. I'm I'm more along the lines of, of Chris where, I mean, I don't think that Donald was bad in any way. I think he was one of the only things that was watchable about the film. Um, but I didn't get this sense that it was like anything, you know, crazy good between them. Um, for me, the saving grace rather than the acting, again, was more that this was sort of like so venice was like a labyrinth and he was like a rat in the in the labyrinth that's what that scene was about where he he he's in in those tunnels and there's a little white rat running around i think that's meant to be him and so to catch the the audience up a little bit his daughter drowns in their backyard in this little river and then they choose he chooses to go work in venice like the most water ridden city there is. So there's like a little self flatulation thing going on there where okay.
3: self-flagellation, you're Damn saying
1: flat-ulation, flat-ulation. flatulation. He's <laughs> farting himself. A lot himself. of a <laughs> lot of gas, too much. Uh, That's
0: one of those things pop-off. I can never get right. Self-flagellation. Hey man,
3: Julie Louis Dreyfus was great in the Mauritanian. <laughs>
1: So flagellate, like whipping or flagellate. Yeah, he was was farting
0: a lot. And so they decided to move to Venice. Um, But again, I think the ideas here are cool is like, whereas his wife is choosing to try to deal with this grief in maybe not the most logical way, but she is looking for comfort um, by believing that their daughter is communicating to them. He, on the other hand, is – you could maybe presume that he's choosing to try to just ignore the emotions that are bubbling up inside of him. And so he's not dealing with his grief, um, which is why he's – so he's getting all these omens, right, throughout the film as to – leave Venice or to pay attention to a certain thing or to deal with his grief. He's choosing to ignore all those omens. And so is that what leads him to this red dwarf? And is that why she goes like this? Because that's basically the universe saying to him, no, you were focusing on the wrong thing. Like you weren't supposed to be searching this deep into the labyrinth. You were supposed to be searching within yourself to deal with your grief. This is why the film falls apart for me because like I can, I can barely even piece together what he was going for because I don't think he really hit it on the head.
3: And like the scaffolding in the, in the church, you're doing some heavy lifting, but you are not going to be able to hold that up for very long. Yeah. This movie no, you're right. is terrible. <laughs> and like, I mean, even getting into like a technical aspect of it, did you guys notice how much ADR there
0: was? Of yeah, like they yes, be walking, yes, and it was yes, like and that bothered the hell out of me. And, and
3: everything's and it, fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. And <laughs> yeah. why? What? What's with uh, Italian filmmaking and ADR? And then not giving us subtitles. Yeah,
1: no, subtitles. any of, any of the Italian about it.
0: <laughs> I was, was like, no I want spot.
3: to ask
2: everybody: Did yours have subtitles? Yeah, no. None. They I like that actually. I thought that making was a good to us, Mr. Sutherland, because we weren't sure where you were going from A to B to B to C, C to. D. No,
0: but that, I thought that was a cool choice because it made yeah. us the audience have to like be like, "Wait, yeah. so so what's happening here?" It, it, it kind of was. It made us along for the ride with dust with Dustin Hoffman with Donald Sutherland of not really being sure where things are going or if people yeah. are on his side or against them. There was some positive things about the film, like. The tension, mm-hmm. the, the sort of paranoia of not really knowing. It seemed like the whole city was against him at some point. I thought the priest was the real bad guy in the film for most of it. I oh. thought he was plotting to get Donald Sutherland killed so that he could take Donald Sutherland's wife for himself. Like My head was going in a million different directions to try to figure out this thing. And then it, it turns out that the city's plagued with a dwarf serial killer? I mean, is that literal? or Is that metaphorical? I just can't put it together. So there's a lot of, I, I think there's a lot of,
3: I can point to like a couple different things in this movie that I liked, because I, I forced myself to think about this from that perspective, knowing that I was going to hate this when we were talking about it. So the things that I liked, and I think the things that people took away from it, someone like Ari Aster, someone like uh, the director of In Bruges, who uh, I'll also get into it in a bit, is the first is the water shots. Every time they cut to water, I was immediately amazed by, like, the lighting, the, the way that it was shot. Like, him coming out of the water with the girl, I was so on board for. And it happens in, like, the beginning of the movie. I was like, ooh, this is going to be, like, a, an art house horror movie. That's amazing. I can't wait to watch it. And it just completely went to shit. Like, so there's that. There's the idea of Venice as a character. So the idea is that Venice is like playing with him almost like things are falling down and you know, he's there to restore it, but it doesn't want to be restored. It wants to go under the water. There's constantly bodies being dragged up. Like I thought that was super cool. And then the other thing, and I realized I made fun of it, but like kind of the way that it cut, you never quite know what was going on. And like the reason that I chose the best scene of the movie, in my opinion, for the clip was because I was like, "Oh shit! Like this is his life. As he's dying, he is literally seeing what is going to happen and what will happen." And like the people, the the watch commander, kind of sitting up, and being like, "Oh my gosh, what's happening?" I thought that was cool. But three things that I like about a movie does not a go- does not a good movie make. I think that Ari Aster pulled the best part of this movie out for Hereditary, because if we think about it on a very base level, this is analogous to hereditary in that sense.
0: How, how so? I didn't see the connection.
3: Oh, the, just the idea of, of children and the the kind of nature of what it means to be a parent and the because, grief of
0: losing a child. Really. Exactly. That's the only similarity I saw. I mean, some of the, maybe some of the like Oh, bye. Oh. <laughs> see, the world knows you're wrong. Some of the um, maybe some of the, like the, the paranoia vibes or something. Yeah. I don't know, like it didn't seem like a similar movie to me. Well, and um, I hated
3: it because that guy with the mole is in that movie.
0: The guy with the mole, Alex. Uh... Oh, Alex Wolf, <laughs> yeah. who you hate. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, well, how did you guys feel about like the sort of like constant? zooming i'll ask you aaron the the constant zooming and zooming out of the camera like really quick zooms and zoom outs it seemed like it was just like one after the other they were cool shots into themselves but it just felt too consistent for my liking
1: yeah no I, i didn't care for the technique i mean like chris said i was captivated um during the drowning scene and him pulling her out and um you know i mean i don't even think they used that zoom effect during that it's just There was some experimental things going on. I was going to say this film also, it it kind of felt like an excuse to show off how beautiful Venice is. Like, I don't know. Like they were like, I I felt like the cinematographer and the producers, like everyone was just so stoked to shoot a film here. Did they actually shoot in Venice? Yes. Yes. Right. It felt like that. It felt like a bunch of people got really excited. Let's show how gorgeous the city is and just completely slipped on the plot you know i mean that might be one of the saving graces
0: and in, in a sense is that i've never seen i've never felt so intimately aware of what
1: venice the vibe of venice mm-hmm. is yeah and that that's what i loved about it was like i really felt like i was there and that was nice i mean it was a beautiful mm-hmm. city i love how they used it like you said like a maze. Um, it was just very intimate but you know once again there's a lot of things where it's just like what like the the when when she goes by in the boat with the old ladies right that's a premonition it didn't actually happen right well it, didn't it, happen. it, it
0: happened but he one of his psychic abilities that he wasn't aware that he had was to see into the future and so but only things orienting around his own death that's essentially what his power was is to see he was basically getting omens about his own death, like warnings, essentially. And yes. So when he thought he saw his wife, he was actually seeing the funeral parade
1: of his body. Yeah, but then, but then he calls his wife and he's freaked out because she didn't talk to him and tell him what. And then on top of that, when he talks to her over the phone, she's acting really, she's like, just her demeanor, very off. She's like, "Oh, I, I'm catching a flight." No, no, no. And he's like, "Well, what happened?" to You and she's like cutting him off, like, "Oh, no, no, don't worry, don't worry, everything's fine." Is it's like it felt like she was somewhere she was not supposed to be, right? But then you introduce her back into the story, and she really was just taking care of her kid, and now she's back in Venice, excited to see him, and runs to meet him. All that was super clunky. She goes to the police department, and they're like setting it up, like that guy's about to murder her. There's just a set up and falls and it doesn't, it's not congruent. It, it's not enjoyable for the audience. I mean, I'm not like it, it, it wasn't a good ride of suspense. It, it was just completely, I don't know, let down misinformation, uh, bad storytelling. I don't, I don't know. Yeah.
3: Aaron, I'd love to know what nationality you are. So I could give an informed opinion of
1: where you're coming from with that. <laughs> what nationality? Like, my nationality like
3: yeah i'm just confused my ethnicity no where where are you from where are you born
1: i'm born in santa cruz
3: he's not getting it
1: you're no, you're, you're literally I'm covered american
2: in flags and I'm, born in the
1: USA. I, I, I'm american <laughs> yeah, <you're> i know i'm <laughs> covered in flags i just thought this was appropriate for the two movies that we had about torture yeah. No, it is appropriate. About, just about um, America, Western culture. I don't oh, know. Yeah. It's very Very soon, we're going to be... How it's not black and white, hegemony. how everything is... Oh! Kind of
2: hegemony. hegemony.
1: Hegemony. Hegemony. Hey, what
0: happened to our soundboard, Chris? That would be making this conversation a whole lot better.
1: Uh, yeah, hit us with the whoop-whoop.
0: We didn't get it. Oh. Oops. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Um, uh yeah no uh, aaron you're spot on um it's like at what point does a director have the right to fuck with his audience to the point where he doesn't respect them he or she doesn't respect them because that's kind of what that that's the territory that films enter for me when directors choose to make these decisions it's a fine line because on one sense he's doing a very good job of creating confusion tension paranoia because like you said we don't know who the bad guy is do we trust the ladies are they witches do we trust the priest what what the fuck was the the french lieutenant or who i don't even know who that guy was he he was the he strangest is. he was like the strangest actor i've ever seen like he kind of like reminded me of of the dude in um the stanley kubrick film we watched uh the killing the killing, you know how that, that actor, Timothy Carey, was just so strange and bizarre, you didn't understand his motives? This actor was like that too. It's like, what what are you doing? Like, yeah, he's like crumpling the paper. like, And then he's like drawing her eyes. Like, is he, yeah. is he the serial killer? Like, that's what I thought. I was like, is he the serial killer?
1: What so random. Wrong. Why? Why are we given that so, information?
0: So, so that's where, that's the, that bids a good question is like, you know, at that point, is it just abuse from the director? Is he just, like, fucking with you, you know? Like, because it, it doesn't tie in neatly. Well, let me come at this a different way. Like, I don't... Okay.
2: I think on our wheel, if I've been following, our, our, we have started to add more movies from the 70s. And I think if we get to a point where we add a few, some noteworthy ones, so pull, a, you know, some of the horror classics and pull some british movies because you're going to start to see like the thing that grabbed me were the was the sort of like what you talked about yoshi but there was sort of the idea what we're trying to put forward here in this sort of a cult theme Uh, i got that and then it's done in a herky-jerky way yeah there's not too much to the plot but the performances worked for me but it felt to me growing up in that era that it was sort of uh, it was kind of correlated to other '70s films and other experimental directors of that ilk. So I wasn't as put off like now with our sort of 21st century sensibility, and we look back on that, we go, "Oh, because to your point, yeah, probably he's having a little fun with us." Um, is it abusive? I, you know, didn't feel that way, uh, you know, um, at all. Oh, but oh, I guess we've
1: seen the most. We've seen the most classic 1970s movie of them all. Nashville, yes. baby. Oh, that's right.
2: So Aaron makes my point, you know, with great use we'd of uh, we've
1: been to the seventies, baby. It's Nashville. <laughs> Come on now, nineteen seventy-five, right. smack dab in the middle. I of love Santa we- Cruz. I love Santa Cruz.
3: <laughs> you mean um, you mean ten out of ten uh, DCS rated <laughs>
1: Nashville? That Nashville? Yes, ten point <laughs> oh, <0's. fucking> Mason, <laughs> shout, shout out to Mason. Shout out to Mason. We'll have you back on the 100%. show sometime. One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, Paul, go ahead. Finish. Yourself. Yeah. So I, you know, uh,
2: I'm trying to crystallize my point here, but you know, again, for the benefit of anybody watching up to this point, is wondering, oh my god, you know, just keep in mind that a six is fair, and I thought this was fair. I thought, I thought Donald Sutherland, Julie Christie did have chemistry. I thought uh, they kept this thing moving forward. You know. And for me, a movie like this always begs a lot of questions that are not related to our review show. But for me, like, you know, was Donald Sutherland, the Canadian, you know, were they asking him, what are you doing this summer, Don? And his agents calling him and pestering him. He's, well, I'm, I'm certainly not watching the Stanley Cup because, you know, my Maple Leafs are not in it. I'm going to head up to my cottage. Wait a minute. I got a chance for you to do a nudie scene with Julie Christie. Oh, okay, great. So off he goes to Venice, and I think Venice is a backdrop because, Yoshi, you're the one who has definitely steered us into motifs and symbols and themes and definitely the rat in the water. As soon as I saw the little white rat, I'm like, "Ooh, here we are in the catacombs of the tunnels of Venice. And is that where Donald Sutherland has been? And we've never really had uh, an emotional exploration because after we have that very powerful scene at the beginning, the daughter drowns he's trying to resuscitate her and then it sort of moves forward in time and in our more with our more modern sensibility we know we're going to have this you know sort of gnashing of teeth as the couple come to terms with you know the loss of a child but they seem to have moved on from it and he is now pouring himself into his work she is you know sort of pouring herself into the venice environment and you know if there's a venetian quality that we don't know about yet it's like Okay, but we're now surrounded with water. So clearly it has no effect on them that going to a city which is sinking into water is having any psychological traumatic effect on them. And that to me was very fascinating. And I was like, will this be explained at some point? Well, I guess this is probably for the show. Okay, because it certainly wasn't <laughs> explained in the plot. And we never, we just didn't have that couples moment that we I guess, ordinarily would have. Where we, We've got a, you know, our, my heart's rending and I need to talk about our, our beloved who's gone we just kind of moved on i've got to, you know let's see if we're matching up mosaics and let's go have an <laughs> a, a very very i mean the, the length of that scaffolding scene i played it back twice even at 2x on youtube and i was like holy cow this is a long scene mm-hmm. a really really long scene to watch a stunt person in a crazy non-matching wig i'm like wow but again it probably informed, uh, you know, getting back, you know, reversing modern sensibility, it definitely informed an Ari Oster and and uh, and Steven Soderbergh and maybe on some cool editing tricks that they employed later. And probably given that, you know, I don't you know, you have the full output of British cinema, but this is probably, you know, I'm sure that there's a, a selection of critics that are like, oh, no, don't look now. Ranks among, among one of the finest occult British thrillers of all time. Like, okay. so
0: um, I yeah, saw did, so many people talking about how this was a masterpiece, and I just don't understand uh, that. Bit. What? No. Yeah. So let me ask you guys this, and we'll wrap this one up. Uh, was the Red Dwarf the serial killer of Venice? Did Donald Sutherland really die in that moment? Or did he die, for instance, earlier with the scaffolding incident? And then the rest of it was just sort of like, you know, like images that he he went through during his death or something. Like, did he really die by a midget, by machete or axe or whatever the fuck she had in her hand?
2: It seemed to be.
0: uh, (laughs) Then uh, then what the fuck?
2: Because it's. (laughs) Because I, what I couldn't reconcile was, okay, at the start of the film, he's having these images flash into his mind, his daughter playing with their son, and and then there's red, 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 and then all of a sudden she drowns. And so I, what I couldn't figure out, and it didn't make sense, it would just be an interpretation, is like, okay, is this was this his healing process? Because he wasn't there in time, because he now he realizes in that moment he dishonored because I think that's what makes that final edited sequence of the, his images as he slowly dies uh, and bleeds out of his neck a couple of times, like, oh, okay, I'm now atoning for what, you know, for my, my failure to save my daughter. And there may have been other failures as a parent, but I just felt like that was his absolution at the moment. So yes, he got killed for me, and but in his death, it wasn't like a blackout Tony Soprano end of end of my life moment. We, he got to, because of his unique gift, got to see the full range of events from the death of his daughter to that moment where it reconciled in his mind, like, yes, you could have saved your daughter. You've been dealing with this guilt in a very strange way. Um, And this is your, uh, this is your atonement.
0: The reason I offer the, option that maybe he died in the scaffolding incident is because there was a moment where he was out with the priest by the canal where he had a flash of him actually falling I don't know if you guys caught that but like it was a moment where he had a vision of that moment unfolding differently where he wasn't saved and he actually fell it's like a really quick flash and that for me is why the film got as high as it did if I'm going to speak positively about the film was that there were lots of moments like that that I've never seen in film before, where it was just really interesting, cool decisions made in the editing room to short, sort of just flash moments of characters' thoughts into the audience's faces. And it happened throughout the first like half of the film, much more frequently than the second half, but there were just like interesting cuts and, and editing choices made where we got to see sort of like into the minds of these characters a little bit. Um, and I, I, I walked away feeling like that was pretty unique and cool. Any closing remarks from you
1: three? I
2: figured
0: That's, somebody would talk about the um, ants meeting. Yeah, I'd like
1: to say... We're
3: losing Aaron.
0: Aaron is... And I'm proud to be in America. am good at my freezing. Yeah, you're freezing up. You're, you look Can like you this me? right now. This is you right now. These colors are... Oh, insane. am I... There you go. You're... Oh. Uh,
1: <laughs> My col- Hello? Can you I hear think me? I think you're back. Am I freezing? Yeah, you're freezing. Am I back?
3: <laughs> I'm still freezing? You're back. Out. Remember, back.
2: the blue portion of this state is the extreme left and in the center. We grow vegetables, nurse livestock. We have a thriving... Red community, I'm proud of being I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have our okay, Chris. Field
0: you're back choice. in. This is cut it back in. Okay, Aaron, go ahead. Right.
1: I got comments. Um, you know, in my opinion, this film could have been made 20 years earlier, and it it could have killed it. Like you would think through the decades that film would you know, gradually get better. And I feel like it, it does in some sense, but to me, this film could have been made 20, 20 years earlier. I'm not sure the point I'm trying to make. It's, it's basically like I could see this being a fifties film and just being conquered in a narcissist kind of way. Yeah. You're you know studying Hitchcock. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want narcissus. what style this film 20 years earlier and this becomes a different kind of film for for whatever reason in the 70s it seemed like they were doing some experimenting and with plot and camera and it just didn't work it just was not successful
0: i hear you uh, um yeah i i think at the end of these conversations i always say to myself you know which which way am I leaning now? Did I go higher or lower? And I will say that I'm leaning closer to you, Chris, after this one. I, I don't have much to say about this movie. I think it was a failure. It's doo-doo. Um, okay, that was Don't Look Now. We tried to have a good enough conversation to pull a Night Porter effect, and I don't think we succeeded. Um <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but that's okay. We'll get him next time. Chris, let's wrap this bitch up. The Act of
3: Killing, 2012. Joshua Oppenheimer, Denmark. We... Datang sini sehat. Sampai di sini dipukul,
1: mati. Kalau dulu kita main pukul, pertama itu datang kita main pukul, itu kan darah banyak. Di sini kan di sini kan darah. di sini kan darah banyak ini kan. <tuh> Jadi karena terlalu banyak darah itu kan bersihnya kan bau, ya kan? Jadi cara cara untuk jangan keluar darah itu inilah pakai sistem ini. Ya, saya peragakan boleh kan? Boleh. Boleh ya. itu nah, duduk aja di sini lah. Ini caranya supaya jangan darah
3: itu banyak. Oh boy. God. The Act of Killing uh, is a documentary film uh, by Joshua Oppenheimer and others uh, that captures the uh, really strange and I've never heard of or seen a movie like this where they go to uh, Indonesia. Uh, In 1965, there was a military coup that happened. Uh, The fascist uh, military (laughs) took over the country of Indonesia and basically had ethnic cleansing. Uh, for many many years after this this takes uh, into the modern day goes back to the killers and without too much coercion the killers are basically given access to reenact the killings uh, as they were and as they were influenced and they get to tell their stories uh, we see what they did how they did it and how happy they were to do it and the results of that uh, the act of killing uh, is our first documentary and we'll get into that.
0: Woo! Strap in, boys! I believe Aaron uh, gets
3: to start this one off.
0: All
1: right, Aaron, start us off. Uh, all right. Let me, uh, <laughs> uh, let, me, let me get into... Chris, have you um, refreshed?
3: Oh, it's live, baby.
1: Okay, good. Uh, the killing. The act of killing. Um, my god this is a uh, a powerful documentary um, a, a peek into history like you've never known I mean I don't know I feel like I'm getting my mind blown this month with and last month with history lessons um but yeah this is just a story I knew nothing about and it's horrific and uh, it's interesting how labels can, Be put on a community that will bring another community to feel justified in the act of violence, and um, it's funny how the labels get shifted around. You know, we've had discussions on this show about the Red Guard and how destructive, you know, that was in China, and now you look at this, and it's like, oh my God, look at what they felt justified to do in the in the uh, name of. Communism in fighting communism. Um, yeah, this was a hard film to sit through, um, but you know, I think uh, it's a good, it's good awareness lesson. Um, so Aaron gives this film. Aaron gives this film a 8.0 8. Nice. Fair. Just a solid, solid eight. And that's, you know, there's documentaries. We can get into it. I don't know if they have a place on the show because to me, I don't know if it classifies as cinema. It's powerful. Um, but is it, are we losing the cinema? Are we losing the art of showing in a different, I don't know. We'll get into it. So yeah,
0: we'll have a conversation about that for sure. Who do you want to yeah. pass it to? I'm going
1: to, I'm going to pass it to you, Yosh. I'm going to hear what you have to say about this.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. We're going to have an interesting conversation about whether documentaries belong. I know Chris voiced in our text gr- uh, group text that uh, he doesn't think so. Um, and, and I understand that point of view and I think mm-hmm. I agree with it, but we'll, we'll talk about it. Although I will say that this documentary felt more like a film than the Mauritanian felt like a film to me. The Mauritanian felt more like a documentary than this. This felt like a film. Um, I know it wasn't, but in some kind of way it is. And there's a film within the film too, which is sort of meta. Um, this was very difficult to watch. Uh, Cringy. um Zuzu is delivering me some strawberries right now. <laughs> Thank you, baby. <laughs> some strawberries because I'm I'm starving. Um, but it was an absolutely shocking and incredibly made film. Um, wow. I mean, I'm almost speechless in, in what to say, so I think I'll just get to the point and, and give you my score and we'll just talk about it. But Yosh gives the act of killing. An
1: 8.4. Okay. Solid. And I pass it to Paul. Yosh, was that higher than your ranking for Mauritanian? You were yeah, more, 7.9.
0: 7. 7 7 for Mauritanian.
1: Okay. Nice. Did, did you tell
2: Zoo uh, not to cry when you kill her in half an hour? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm just, it's just for the cameras, just for the cameras though, so you're
0: so pretty. No, you don't have to, you, 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 you did a great job crying when you were acting, but you, you're embarrassing me now, don't keep crying. Yeah,
2: um, thank you, Yoshi. Yeah, this, uh, so I've watched this two and a half times. Uh, like you and Aaron, I will spare my rhetoric for the discussion. Uh, but it is a, it's one of those movies that's a solid eight, regardless of whether we believe uh, movies like this belong in DCS. But then in the midpoint of the movie, it adds an emotional chess piece and an intellectual chess piece that vivify for me exactly where this sadism went. And that was what Suriano and his. The neighbor, and I got to make sure I get his fellow executioner's name right, Adi Kadri. when they showed up, this movie started to accelerate for me. And like how you talked, Yoshi, about Don't Look Now, I I wonder if I'm going to rank this higher when I'm done. But for now, Paul gives this an 8.9.
3: Ooh, buddy.
0: Wow, a that. like, right. masterpiece. masterpiece. Oh, borderline, through. exactly. Well, I, 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 you. I, I, I almost went that way too, Paul. So I totally okay. understand. Okay. That. that
2: was Mauritania. Oh well. Let me go here. So, Let me try this again. Yeah, no,
0: don't don't worry about it, Paul.
2: All right, don't worry about it. We got it. Yeah. Okay, this should be okay. Uh,
3: this movie. It it is it is a tough. Tough movie to watch, and yeah. I'll I'll preface this. Did you guys watch the director's cut? Most no. There's another hour of this movie.
0: I don't think I could handle that.
3: Yeah, it's it's uh, and and there's a companion piece too. Because they should go, watch? I watched I watched the theatrical, the two hour one. Okay. there, there is a there is a follow up where they they focus more on the victims, uh, called the Look of Silence. Uh, my god, I want to see that movie a lot. This movie, and I will get into it, unfortunately in my opinion, does not belong on our show. I think that the, the truth in this film and the willingness to kind of eschew entertainment completely puts it at one of my favorite films that we have watched on the show. And with that, even though I said it doesn't belong on our show, I
2: rank this film... See if it goes, oh. <laughs> look at Josh's face. I know because I'm thinking <laughs> it might have a one in front of it. Oh, Ooh, oh
1: boy! Oh, oh boy! On, <laughs> oh
0: boy! This Baby, <laughs> I'm all juiced up on strawberries now. I'm back. Oh, this film. Born for free. me.
1: Gets a
3: 9.5. With an asterisk? With an asterisk. (laughs) 9.5, Chris? 9.5. This movie is so good. In so many different ways. Literally, we'll, we'll get into it right now. That end scene. I have never, ever felt that way watching a movie. The guy is dry heaving, thinking about what he did. Yes, in the path and finally being confronted with the nature of his inner soul and how corrupt and how black his heart is and he cannot physically stand it. And he's just and you're just and they hang on to it for two
1: minutes. My God, you're absolutely right. Preach, baby! Oh my god! Yeah, he was possessed at the end, dude. You're right, but you did
0: the asterisk. I, I instead of doing the asterisk, I just took my score down because I was I'm right up there with you guys yeah. with, with both of you. I'm thinking like this thing's like a borderline masterpiece, yeah. but because it's not like a film film, I kind of brought it down a little bit. So, so maybe you have a point as to why these I don't do. work because we didn't know how to rank them.
3: <laughs> so I'll just give you the, the tentative ranking is an eight point seven. Wow, that's,
0: that that's where it should be. I think that's I good. I think so as
1: well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's high up on our list. Who does that get in front of? Do we have a DCS uh, top ten right now? We'll
0: get it. Yeah. It well, our be website
1: because we have our new website. Yeah, the web. Do we?
0: Yeah, yes, the website
2: so. looks different.
0: Yeah. Is it is it active, Paul? Because I tried going on it earlier. It looks like it's under construction still. Huh
2: deadcinemasociety.com
0: it uh,
3: does look like it's under construction but I'm going to just
0: pull up our for example uh, I couldn't it. find our rankings
3: yeah it's, it's just under the society so the top 10 are The Master, Cries and Whispers, The Seventh Seal, City Lights, The Cranes Are Flying, Les Miserables and Dead Man uh, this is uh, tied uh, with Amelie and I'm Thinking of Ending Things
0: so it's not in our top 10 no Okay. Ah, oh, wow. Um, wow. So eight point seven. Okay. So Chris, let's start yes. with you for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Nine point five with the asterisk. I'll give the floor to you. Yeah. So this movie is not a, is not a piece of cinema.
3: It is a documentary, in my opinion. Uh, but it is a documentary in the way that I, I, I again I'll, I have never seen this movie, and I think Werner Herzog kind of toes the line and and it, i i watched a ton of interviews after this because this film and I, I needed to know more about it i needed to learn the history so basically the way that this film got the mass release that it did is joshua Oppenheimer was at a party in london and heard Werner herzog was there and is like i need to talk to you about this film and he's like yes uh talk to me tomorrow morning at breakfast and instead of talking to Werner herzog he pulled out a laptop put it in front of him, and played eight minutes of footage. And Werner Herzog just threw money at him. Apparently. And was just like, this movie needs to be
0: seen by everyone, ever. Well, Joshua knew his audience then, because this feels right up Werner Herzog's alley, where it's like, Almost like a dark, unintentional comedy of exposing a sort of sickness of society, of culture, of people, of humanity. Because this is the some I I almost forgot that Werner didn't make this when I was watching it. You know, it feels like something he would make. Continue so this movie and he goes into the it toes the line
3: between documentary and fiction this is a surreal documentary and it's because with a documentary and this is something that it, it's it's heated in the in the 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 documentary kind of club or whatever you want to call it of do you interact with the world as a documentarian some people do they interview they talk they force a narrative some people Ver, don't they, verner does that right Werner does that a lot uh some people sit back and then just tell you the truth Werner Herzog says you should not be concerned with facts in a movie. If you're just showing facts, it's not a it's not a great movie. If you're just retelling the story it as it is, point for point, why make a movie about it? The thing with the Mauritanian, the thing that you brought up is just like, yeah, it just it just feels like I'm I'm watching how it played out. It's just boring. Right. With this my god the surreal aspect of like they're filming this scene then they're watching it and he you're kind of getting his response of like oh i did that yeah i didn't wear that shirt i never wore white pants when killing or anything and you're just like holy shit!" like he's just like laying it all out there going into it the productions of like the film itself and like the dancing that they do the coaching they give when you think when they think the camera's off and it's still on they're kind of like yeah this is great i love being on a set it's weird the interviews with like other people as after they go back to like wherever they're from it is it it never it, it never tells you where it's going and every turn it takes Is a road of despair and melancholy at the same time
0: so are you offering that the director that oppenheimer interfered in some kind of way that he was making painting things as if they were fact when they were really fiction or did he not do that
3: i don't think that we know and i don't think the people they know either because like in their head they are the heroes victory grants you the ability to write history as they talked about and as they brought up in the film if if the Nazis had won, there would be films like this about the Nazis. If you know, I mean, we have our own uh, things with the American uh, Indian population. Of you know, we don't we don't get you know genocide courts or anything thing like that. We don't get judged for that. They're absolutely right, but do they believe that they're wrong? Maybe one person definitely does not. He's like, no, I was it was war, yeah. You, you're going to put me on trial. Bring me to Geneva. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy to go there, get a free trip.
0: Yeah. There's the scene where the neighbor, what's his name, Paul, you mentioned him at the top, uh, Sur, Suria,
2: Suriana, uh, Sereno, Suriano. Serena. Assuming, yeah.
0: Yeah. Just... There's that scene where he's driving in the car and Oppenheimer is like, you know, but you know, you, you killed, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Um, uh, and then he said sort of, he sort of goes on that rant right about how like well you know what about the American government what about Cain and Abel like wh- what murders are we judging here because if so there's some hypocrisy into your sort of uh, trying to paint me as the bad guy because look at your own country look at what Bush did with the Geneva look at uh, Guantanamo Bay you know it's yep. so funny yeah. that he brings up Guantanamo Bay. Um, Because he's like, you know, like who? who, Everyone's doing this stuff. Everyone's murdering everyone, kind of thing. And he's right. It doesn't justify their actions, of course. But it's just—it's an interesting moment in the film. There's a lot to unpack here. uh, But Chris, I think we'd be doing the audience a disservice if we didn't. Quickly, just unpack the history of it a little bit. Do you do you, do you mind sort of yeah. framing a, a conversation around that? Yeah. So in 1965,
3: the far left leaning uh, socialist uh, government in Indonesia uh, was perceived as weak and as kind of um, you know letting other countries kind of take their resources, and the military was losing power. So the military had a coup and uh, one took over the country. Uh, and then, uh, because it was the 1960s, and we were definitely let pa- afraid.
0: Let's pause, yep. because let's, be, let's make this clear. What was the state of Indonesia pre-coup? Like, what was living there like mm-hmm. it, with their government? Pretty terrible. Uh, okay. the, the government wasn't
3: i mean and also you have to think of the the geographical makeup of indonesia it's an archipelago yeah. it's yeah. a ton of islands there's a ton of tribal stuff there's a ton yep. of gubernatorial stuff indonesia at that point had been colonized it had been raped for resources they finally had gotten independence post-world war ii and this socialist government had been coming in order and obviously proximity to china proximity to soviet union communism was starting to spread uh the apparently weak government couldn't keep people in check and so there was this like in many fascist regimes a paramilitary organization sprung up uh young men who were dissatisfied with the country's orders not feeling strong feeling weak feeling dejected turned to crime and turned to violence and you had all of these gangsters rise up it just so for,
0: for example mm-hmm. sorry to keep interrupting for example. They didn't even have access to watching whatever movie they wanted to watch. So there really was this sort of dictatorship uh, quality to the government.
3: Yes, and then the uh, obviously the coup happens. The military essentially gives free reign, and in some cases, in many cases, uh, assists in the ethnic cleansing of anybody they deem not uh, a part of the state. So this is. Ethnically Chinese people, communists, intellectuals, teachers—basically, if you had anything to do with anybody in the government, they killed you. Uh, and this was either so Union up, shit. Uh, well, you can even you can even go back and say, you know, uh, communist China. You could say uh, the Nazis. Uh, basic, I mean, it, fascism, uh, despite what people like to think, follows kind of a handbook. You have a weak central government, you have a military or a far right-leaning organization that promises to bring in strength, to bring in order, you have a misguided youth that you can weaponize, and then you start taking out people who oppose you. So intellectuals, people who breed discourse, uh, a scapegoat party, so the ethnically Chinese in this case, like it's, it's nothing new. We've heard this a thousand times and you can swap out the names and the genders and everything in there. And it will always it will always come back to the same thing. People try to seize power through force and then tell a narrative to themselves that makes them feel good at night. How involved was America with the coup? Oh my god it's I, I did it because they don't they, they oh, bring god. it in they bring it up
0: well, they barely bring it up, which well, I they think barely is maybe, bring it up this is a disservice to the filmmaker, I believe, but go ahead.
3: So, Faced with the spread of communism, the United States, like it has done so many other times, funded, in part, the military. So we backed the military of this com- uh, country, and uh, in, in the Indonesian military, through giving them arms, through giving them money, through giving them radios, which with they could coordinate the attacks. And then, to top it all off, CIA operatives gave lists of names associated with the Communist Party. So imagine this. The, the military takes over the country, and now everybody who's a registered Democrat is put on a list. That's what it's like.
0: Just like that. Just like that. And so what would, what would be – how can we correlate that to, say, like our own, our own, our own country? Yeah. So, I mean, we're
3: going to get a, political. Paint, paint,
0: this, paint the scenario as if that was to happen here right now.
3: So, Trump's uh, Trump's coup on the January 6th takes hold. He, the military backs him, he seizes the government. There are lists that go out of Nancy Pelosi's killed, any, any high-ranking Democrat is killed, anybody registered with the Democratic Party. If I donate to Bernie or if I put on my Facebook that, you know, Bernie Bros for life or whatever, I'm killed. Uh, the government is essentially defunct at that point. Trump becomes a god king. And we go from there, and this is what and this is what happens. And unfortunately,
0: they never got charged with anything. Or you could paint the opposite picture: um, anyone who doesn't get the vaccine, their phone suddenly stops working.
3: Yeah, you you could say that too. I mean, it could go either
0: way. It could go either way.
3: Oh, I'm just giving you the analogous of, of sure, sure, know, sure. right white ring to white right ring, and
0: let's not get too far down this rabbit hole. Um, so continue. Where where are we at here? That's, I mean, that's pretty much it for that example. That's, that's the history. That's the history lesson there.
1: Yeah, I mean, so, it's-
0: so 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 this is something that I would hope that we can maybe touch on here because the sort of Western. One of the big things I walked away from after watching this film was the Western influence, the Western touch as to how how and why all this happened. So you have the literal Western influence financially weaponry weaponry of actually helping this coup to happen to begin with so there's so our so our country's blood is on is on the um is on their hands as well but then also just the influence of western film and cinema and so i'm curious if martin scorsese has has seen this film and what he thinks about it for example because one of the major sort of tropes of of this documentary i found was that these guys it may remind me of holy motors where and there's an interesting scene in the documentary where they're on the talk show right and they're, they're talking about, oh no, it's not the talk show. Sorry. It's when, it's when they're on the stage and they're talking about how like, it's like a soap opera and nobody really believes in the movement. Nobody really believes in the ideals, but everyone's sort of being paid to be there and, and they're all just kind of putting on a performance. Um, but secretly deep down, nobody really believes in this shit. And they're just kind of like, you know, there because they're being paid to be there. Do we not remember this, this moment? The, 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 the rally with the paramilitary organization. Right. Not, the vice honest.
3: president of Indonesia puts on the coat of, of the organization.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're kind of like these dance. The main character is kind of like dancing. Yeah. And, and then Kongo abo- is his name. But I forget who's narrating that part, but they're like, look around, like none of these people actually believe in any of this. They're just like most of them are paid to be here. They're just kind of like putting on an act. Um, But basically what I'm getting at is like everyone, all these characters in the film just want to be actors. They want to be performers on a stage and they're influenced by these Goodfellas type movies that they're seeing in the cinemas And they just want to be these gangsters. And so like Holy Motors, like everyone just wants to be a sort of performer and yet there's no audience. And also they seem to be sort of dis... um, What would the word be? Like disassociated with reality in the sense that they don't understand the real consequences of their actions. Like they think that they're just like these characters in a movie and they can walk around just slitting throats and killing people and acting like gangsters and like they don't they're not really connected to what they're doing and then there's this sort of like reverse like un uh, un um planned psycho magic therapy session that unfolds by them recreating the killings they're almost performing therapy on themselves without even intending to. And then they sort of like realize through the mo- making of the movie, what they did. Do they? Is well, the question is, is that performative too? Oh, interesting.
3: Yeah. It, it, are they, are they, you know, trying to say like, yes, I, I know this was wrong because they're getting filmed. And they don't want to be monsters. Yep. Like,
0: interesting.
3: That's something that Herzog brings up in in the interviews that I've watched. Is like, yeah, how how far of this is is real? Like, is this performative as well? But as maybe, maybe as they, like, start to see, like, ooh, this is bad. This is real bad. Because, like, even in that, in that scene that they're filming where they film the recreation of the house burning, the guy gets on the bullhorn and he's like, we weren't this bad, though. So maybe, like, keep that one just to see, like, we can be that bad. But, like, let's tone it down a little bit, guys. See, that's why I
0: don't think it was performative by them. Because I don't think that they understood what footage was going to be used. I think that they really thought they were just making a movie. I don't think that they. Hey, new UCS alum.
2: Yeah. And the cat's name is Mandu. This is Mandu.
0: Mandu, I love yeah. it. Yeah. How is Mandu. Mandu?
2: And she has she <laughs> understands Indonesian history equally well, Chris. She oh. has followed it, you know, the movement from you know, getting released from the Dutch shackles in 1945 or 46. I think it's in her essay to us, and she said, you know, how the this country worked towards nationalism. And I was like, that's brilliant, dear. She goes, there's a lot of things that need to be considered about the regime prior to Sudarko, Sudarko, uh, Sid, Sid, taking over. I was like, yeah. So she wanted to come over and mention that. So that was Mandu's contribution.
0: Thank you, Mandu. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so sorry, I kind of r- ranted there, but let's 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 bring this back a little bit into a, an actual conversation. The the film opened up with a quote from Voltaire. Did you guys yeah. see that one? It is forbidden to kill; therefore, all murderers are punished unless they kill in large numbers and due to the sound of trumpets,
3: which is hilarious because that's I believe that's from Candide. Which
0: I think it is.
3: Yeah. What what a quote to put before this movie. Mm. Did you not like Candide? Oh no, I love Candide, but it it is it, yeah, it's it, good. It, it presents the film as a sarcasm
0: <laughs> right, right So what do you think the filmmakers' perspectives are then chris
3: oh i i th- I think that I mean because they so the the way that they filmed this movie, so they went to uh, Indonesia to try to talk to the victims. They had no intention of speaking to the killers at first. But as they were going around talking to victims, the Indonesian military actually came in and was like, yeah, you can't talk to these people. They started intimidating people. There's scattered reports of victims that they had talked to getting murdered or accidentally falling somewhere. And so one of the victims came forward and said, hey, you might actually get the story from one of the torturers. Here's a list of names. Go find them. And sure enough, as soon as they pop up and like say, hi, I heard you murdered a bunch of people. They're like, yes, you want to see how I did it? Uh, the the concept of reenacting it was actually brought to them by Anwar, by that guy, that wasn't their wow. plan. Like they didn't plan that. He was just like, oh, do you want to see how I did it? And then then he was like, well, I got to do it again because like I, I didn't really capture how it was. And so as they were interviewing more and more and more people, That idea of, like, we're making a film, we're going to be heroes, and as you said, we're going to be gangsters. Isn't that great? We get to see what great things that we did back in the day. And that just came out of them filming them. Like, there wasn't a, like, hey, we're doing this thing, can you reenact this? It's just like, no, they came up with that on their own. Which is, so, Aaron, bonkers.
0: (laughs) Aaron, do you think, which side did you see it on? Because I didn't see Chris's perspective of the possibility of, for example, the ending scene where he's like, not puking, but it sounds like he's puking. Like you know, he's sort of like dealing with the repercussions of of remembering everything. And yeah did you did you side more like this was an unintentional sort of therapy session, or was it all performative?
1: Uh, I'm with you, Yosh. Where I think this is a unintentional psychotherapy session um, to the point where he is actually building awareness to what he's done, uh, PTSD, if you will. I mean, we are watching a, a, a case unravel in front of us. I mean, this is something like a, a therapist or a psychoanalyst would deal with with a serial murderer, you know, where they have no qualm about what they did. And it makes a lot of sense. But then it's like, if you can build awareness into this unconscious human being, they start to really reflect on what they did. And it's it's a severe case of PTSD. And I think we're watching that unravel in the end. Almost, I mean, if you want to get a little spiritual, it's it's almost like watching a real life possession. Um, you know, I don't know what you guys believe in, yeah, yeah. but that would that look like a possession to me. And if you think of the thousands of innocent um cold-blooded killings this man has done. I mean, he is haunted by those traumas, he's haunted by those souls. I mean, that's that's energy. You're you're taking human life and uh that doesn't just dissipate. And I think many years he's he's built a story in his mind that kept him safe and contained. But once he started pulling on these things, You know, what's very interesting is he started watching the film back on his little TV with his his grandkids on his lap. Like, how fucked up was that? But while he's watching himself commit these acts, he's like, hey, watch watch grandpa get tortured. Watch me. And it's like he's slowly like, oh, like, wow. Oh, yeah, I I did that. And it's kind of you can just see the torturous thoughts popping in his head and he's taking on all that pain that he has subdued over years i mean we're watching a psycho case unravel i mean this isn't i don't think it was put on i think this man is deeply disturbed um and i wouldn't even be surprised if now in 2021 he's in a mental institution or committed suicide i don't know where this guy is but he we're watching a real life uh case uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that. This thing was, was intense. Yeah, he died in
2: 2018.
1: So oh, he did. He commits we're... suicide. Was suicide. I don't think he did, but I think yeah. it was, uh, I've been wrong can't. today. So yeah. No. no, yeah.
0: Well, it could have been, uh, you know, an un, unintentional suicide via alcohol or something like that. You know, it could have been a yeah.
1: slow suicide. Um, yeah, he might have killed it, you know, he might have taken it upon himself. I, I really think we watched somebody unravel their mind. Unravel all the things that protected them to justify what he did.
0: So Alejandro Jodorowsky developed a psycho. Oh, we lost Yosh. Can you hear me? Yep. I can hear you. So Alejandro Jodorowsky, uh, DCS alum Alejandro Jodorowsky, developed a psychotherapy called psychomagic that's largely based around like the ideas of Carl Jung, where the idea is to help the patient, you have them act out or relive the traumatic experience they're trying to sort of um, work through. And that is sort of what I took away from what was happening with these characters where by the act, this is the genius of it is because it was all like meant to be right. Like nobody really like made this happen, but by the act of reliving their past, they thought they were going to be like, you guys have illustrated sort of glorifying what they did and creating this movie that is going to, you know, help justify their actions of the past. But the unintended unintended consequence of that was this sort of psycho magic where by reliving it, they, for the first time, got a glimpse of what it might have have felt like to be the victims of their crimes. And so we see this most beautifully put and and illustrated when he has to be, uh, when he's in the torture scene, like when when he has to be choked. And he's just like, and there's many moments throughout the film where, where they're recreating things where it shows Anwar watching, even if he's not in the scene. And you can see that he's just like, conflicted because part of them are like you know celebrating it but the other part of them are like deteriorating before before our eyes like they're like literally like what are we doing and there's like moments where like when they're singing the songs together for example you can kind of see that like they're usually always miserable but just because there's cameras there they're trying to behave as they behaved in their 20s for example and they're like trying to like bring back that spark that they used to have, but really they're just like becoming more and more aware throughout the process of making this film, how fucking crazy they are.
3: I love the scene uh, right after the songs, where after they've done the reenacting for the day and they're just like lounging. And that big old fat guy is talking about raping 14 year olds. And yeah. even they're like, Ugh, buddy, maybe don't talk about that on camera. And you're like, that's the line. I'm yeah. sorry. You've killed Thousands of people, and you're like, "Oh, this guy's a real asshole." If you're talking about raping fourteen year olds, I'll never do that. Like, motherfucker, you are a mass genocide person. Come on,
2: man. Yeah, but he, you know, it's interesting because he. It's funny because I I felt like you know for me the emotional, um, that's why Anwar for me was like the emotional center of this movie because we watch uh with the Pansali leader. Uh, if i've got if i got the name right um you know objectify women you see his obvious know, one of the leaders you see his obvious sexual uh, predation um we he's very dismissive towards women you see this sort of uh this hunger bloodthirst on the part of you know this youth movement that's gonna you know protect indonesia and as chris said you know trying to protect an archipelago good luck with that one um but it was at no point does Anwar put on one of those, you know, sort of tiger print orange unis and, and stroll around it. So he is distanced from it. His oh, no, fat friend is distanced from it. You know, they're in, uh, you know, they're always in color, you know, it's always like, you know, his, you know, when he comments on, on, um, uh, you know, look at me, I'm wearing, uh, I'm, uh,
0: White I'm pants. Wearing, I, wouldn't, um, I, I wouldn't be wearing white pants. You know,
2: whatever he's wearing it was like the Hawaiian print or a floral print. I mean, it was like, oh, it kept us. I was like, oh, okay, you're you're the core of this movie for me. I love that. And then I just the contrast with Anwar sleeping, and then we we layer in a businessman showing us how he rapaciously took all this land and basically has you know, this uh, museum of of exotic, expensive curios from all over the world. And we go back to Anwar, and he's sleeping. And you can just imagine he's digesting this dream into his head. Like, look at my life now. I'm still a peasant living in a village. Here's my last chance for some seeming redemption or to get the popularity that I so richly deserve, because maybe I was marginalized by this editor whose finger I'm pointing at. Again, that's what they were all looking for was like, okay, we're saving our country from these crazy communists. Well, yeah, but the crazy communists saved you from the effing Dutch, and they, you know, and they tried to nationalize things and try to get you into a sort of a monocultural society. Eh, that didn't work too well, but they tried. You know, it's, it's like if we watch the theater of Central America play out. You know, in the '80s, it was like, okay, am I a Contra, my Sandinista? I understand the Sandino regime and why it was there, but it's this this plays out all over the world. I think we started the top of this show with like these, these are the theatrics that play out. And for the, for one of those rare times, we get to go behind the curtain of like mass genocide at a time when President Biden is going to recognize the Armenian genocide, which for some might be lost. But for those of us here in Southern California with what the largest Armenian population outside of Armenia, it might get someone like myself to You know, to delve into what Armenia once looked like, this land that stretched from one body of ocean to another body of ocean, how over time it just got constricted and constricted with politics and warfare, et cetera, et cetera. This plays out all over the world. And we were given a glimpse, thanks to a brilliant documentarian and those good old Danes who just do the – they where they this was just it was just beautiful it was all those ifs, you guys you performative was wonderful it's a great question to ask yoshi and i'm glad that i think chris brought it up but it was performative it was educative it was illuminative i mean this is something where you go you want to delve i mean if you want to delve into pacific history like there's more to pacific history than a korean war and the okinawa and blah 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 there's like like chris you were right on at the top of this show to outline what Indonesia is. The dialects alone, I think it's 65 plus dialects in that country. And I mean, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating for wow. someone like yourself and for hopefully for the, the two or three people in our audience who have like some interest in history. This is it because we're not going to watch. We're not watching a documentary. Rec- we're going to watch a lot of actors from now until the day I die and you all die recreate the Holocaust, umpteen times but we're never going to get a glimpse to get again arguably the sadism or whatever you want to call it of mass genocide like we captured here and it was just it was breathtaking
3: i want that to was, build off of that oh go ahead yes
0: no you build off the crisp but i just want to say that's a great point that you bring up paul about how anwar didn't necessarily have any monetary gain from the genocide, whereas some others did, and he's still just a peasant. And so he's still seeking retribution and uh, sort of like, uh, you know, a a sort of slap on the back, if you will, for what he did for his people. You know, Chris, go ahead.
3: Yeah, I want to – something that Paul said, it was the –
0: and I lost his shit. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> no, so it's
3: sorry. cool. No, no, no. It's cool.
0: Paul was but- talking about how uh,
3: – oh, so the subject of the documentary is the people that did the thing. Like, this is why I don't think it's a film. Like, it is a documentary because of the the people involved. They are so ingrained, and this is their truth. This is literally what they did. Like, I don't want to watch a film – that has you know some some Indonesian actor performing these as a you know uh, uh, a ninety minute you know <clears throat> snooze fest where they interject some sort of romantic subplot into it too. I want to watch this film as tough as it is and as hard as it is to watch this movie. but i I don't even know where you go on on subjects like this. like, god forbid we have any sort of other mass genocides happen i mean we could talk about the uyghurs too but we i don't want to make this a three-hour show uh but uh, i don't think we'll ever see that again of people who are so willing to tell you the crimes that they told they did in the name of whatever
0: no you're right this feels like a very like special insight that won't ever happen again that we, that humanity is sort of, it's like, it, again, it feels like the, the stars aligned for this to ever happen. You, like you said at the top, this wasn't even intended. It's just sort of like, it was meant, it was a story that was meant to be shared with, with humanity. Um, and, and I think you're right about not bringing documentaries in because this, how do you judge this? Cause it just feels perfectly done. How could yeah. you do any better? It just, it's like perfectly done. It's like, a, it's like just, a documentation of something that was happening. Um, and they did it perfectly. So how do you rank this? So maybe in hindsight, we won't even include this, uh, on our website at the end of the day, but asterix, yeah. asterix, maybe, um, that a scene that, that I can't get out of my head, speaking about performances, the actors that they hired, the one actor in particular, this, this, this man, um, who is like crying and like boogers are coming out of his nose um, when they're torturing him and they're like inter- like you know interrogating him and then it cuts to Anwar and his neighbor and they're watching on in disgust. It's these little moments that were like so powerful to me, where like the reenactments, the the performances given by the actors were so good that it left the you know the Anwar's of the film to sort of be taken aback by it and be like wait what are we doing here like the actors how did they get those actors to be such good actors like what was that
3: they just did it i i have a feeling that like they actually just burned down a house like they didn't they didn't ask the people to burn down. they probably just did but
0: that one guy was an actor right the guy i'm talking about
3: I don't think he was, because you remember the scene like when they're in that studio, and he starts talking about, like, oh, yeah, one of my family members was taken one day, and it was, you know, we shot, and we asked about him, and he said that he fell out of stairs. But then I went, and I
1: found him out behind my uncle's yard. That was his father, dude. That was his father. Yeah, stepfather, stepfather. Okay, stepfather, yeah. And he's, he's just like... Oh yeah, like <laughs> <we found him.
0: laughs> oh, yeah, it was crazy. But no, but then, But then like, he went on to say, a little bit later, he went on to say, like, you know, I'm not unaware of how cruel we were. We were were more cruel than the communists. He says that, like, you know, in the next sentence.
3: But I think that's him trying not to get killed.
0: Because he basically said, like, you killed my
3: dad. Yeah. And he's just like, ha ha ha, everything's right, right?
1: Jeez. (laughs) Everything's good, right? We're doing. Things are. Where was that fish? You know, that fish scene that kept. Oh, yeah. Plastering on the. I mean, it was such a gorgeous image that wasn't a backdrop or was it was that a natural shot of Indonesia I don't know what that fish was was. I don't think they had the resources to make a set like that I mean you know look at the waterfall set the waterfall set was so (laughs) cheesy and he's like getting redemption. He's like, I really like how oh. I feel right now.
3: And, 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 like, <laughs> they, and they hand him a medal. Thank you for yeah. killing me. And he's like, for killing me. Like
1: you, for me. Killing me. Yes. <laughs> you sent me to heaven. Thank you so the much best. for I sending can, me to heaven. <laughs> I owe you. I owe you so much. The way yeah. you killed me was perfect. That's it's like, like,
0: oh my god. Oh
1: my god. That's like,
0: um an embrace of the serpent, you know the guy who claims to be G- like Jesus resurrected in in the in the cult. That's like that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, you know, it's like everybody wants to be the savior figure when they're given the opportunity to. Did this movie remind you guys of any other film we've seen before in our, on our show? Maybe a Korean one?
1: Train to Busan? <laughs> no. <laughs> 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 no. Uh Maybe
0: with Western culture being the reason why everything's falling apart, imitating Western culture, movies, music, four can, hours
2: long. Like
3: Taiwanese class. That wasn't that wasn't Korean. That was Taiwanese. Taiwanese. I'm Taiwanese. so racist. I'm so. Oh, racist. the
1: summer's the summer day. Brighter summer's day. A brighter, brighter
0: summer. summer day. The reason I was asking guys because I couldn't remember what it was called. Uh, was good. Yeah.
1: Brighter summer's day. But you yeah, know how Chinese in
3: that moment, movie. <laughs> oh man
0: I'm, ter- I'm terrible i
3: already have to bleep a bunch of shit so
0: we're good <laughs> okay um yeah especially with aaron's background too yeah uh <laughs> it's a flag <laughs> you are pain, just-
3: painfully american right now <laughs> um, we
1: are all painfully american
0: right yeah, now. yeah that's good that's a good comeback we're painfully american i like that a lot yeah um no but did, did, are you guys connecting with me on that one where it's like And how in that film, all the characters, you know, were kind of like, they wanted to be like Elvis or they wanted to be like gangsters. And they they were sort of, remember how we had a conversation about how he didn't even realize what he was doing when he killed his girlfriend? Like they were just like so desensitized to violence because they were sort of, they were indoctrinated into this Western culture through films and music that they were trying to inhabit that. And it's the same thing with these gangsters, Uh, of this film, they were, they, they were like trying to like be these like celebrities, these famous actors. They were like acting. They weren't really aware of what they were doing.
1: Yeah. It's interesting what uh, we don't realize what cinema and video games and stuff of that nature that are overly violent. um, We don't know what that does to the psyche of, you trying to make a violent video game argument, bro? I mean, let's let's look at some of these examples. Shut the
3: fuck up, Aaron, all right? <laughs> <Is> <laughs> you know what? It's motto? funny.
0: <laughs> Zuzu, one of Zuzu's <laughs> predictions for this conversation was that you, Aaron, was going to say that, see, this is the
1: repercussions of glorifying violence. Mm, and I I can agree with it. I mean, look at, you know, we can sit here and say, oh, that didn't affect me. Look, I turned out all right. But then you look at some of these cultures where they get, you know, Hey, we get five movies a year and they're all gangster films. And now we're, you know, walking around acting like the Al Pacino's like in real life. And and, they literally said they learned how to kill through watching gangster movies. They're like, Oh yeah, no, but we actually did it much worse. We, we kind of improvised like that was just Hollywood stuff. You should see the stuff we did. It's like, Oh my! God. Yeah, like God.
0: like killing someone by sticking wood up their anus until they died.
1: Yeah, like oh, what? Like, dude, that's sadistic.
0: It really is. Like, there's 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 energies going on here that are beyond what the eye can see. Like, this is straight sadistic shit that is overtaking the world.
1: Yeah. So I mean, we are desensitized in a way, and we we have this this uh we have this ability to see many many films and kind of put things into perspective and govern ourselves and morality and all these things but i mean these movies do have an effect on the human psyche especially if you're given the right tim um, what is that timber or the right tinder Uh what's that flint flint tinder you're given the right tinder of society you're given the right circumstance i mean look at i mean this is ultimate destruction i mean it is fueling um just uh, evil on the deepest level i mean so you know i love movies and i love sure i love action films and al pacino and all that but you know hearing these guys uh, uh hero you know idolize this it's very apparent like wow this this can have a, a very a psychic effect on children. This can have a psychic effect on certain uh, cultures. You and know? when
0: and when is that going to become a conversation? We have it in the public square where we are going to be more responsible um, and aware for the unintended repercussions our decisions may have. So, for example, you might be a Hollywood director making a movie, and you might not even be aware that just the small decision to try to make some money off of this cool action flick is going to, in 20 years, cause 20,000 people to die somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, everything's connected in this weird way, and we don't have these types of conversations. We're not even aware of how the Matrix is connected in that way and how a decision in America can kill 100,000 people in another country you know like that th- that's the strangeness of all this
2: yeah cuz it's it's interesting that our culture is unidirectional right <laughs> i'm not lifting from a third world country i'm seeing you know that it's uh that it's it, and it was funny and i don't think it came up there was no finger pointing at the us we're just saying hey that was our influence and this is the way we became and uh it 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 taught us a very convenient, efficient way to kill. And then we modified it because, you know, we're not just peasant farmers. We know when a human body starts to stench real bad, we've got a really cool way of desensitizing our nostrils and the people around us. And off they can go to some, you know, put them in some burying field or killing field, whatever it might be. But at no point was it like, oh, you, U.S. I mean, obviously, Joshua's, you know, U.S. born. I think he's uh, but has lived in, in, in the U.K., But there was no finger pointing like, oh, it's all your fault, which is you make. So you make a really good point, Yoshi, like this just we create something and it goes out because our culture is the one that they want to capture. uh, Certainly today and in all the uh, the media availability that they have anywhere in the world, phone, TV, radio, whatever it might be, they want what we're selling.
1: Well, how about culture has a lot of sadistic mentalities to it, you know, you know, it's like in filmmaking, people are obsessed with chainsaw massacre and like what's yep, the darkest thing point. we can put on on cinema? What's the what's the most evil shit? What's the darkest shit I can think of? Let's make that cinema. And people are obsessed with it. They they're sadistic in nature. They they there's people that are going to the cinema to feel something. That's why they want to see chainsaws and gore and all this stuff there's something in them celebrating that sickness in society that's that's a deep sickness and you know if you can't recognize that and you like those films you know you you also need to do some deep search in yourself what is sadistically what what are you serving inside of you by wanting to watch those movies i'm not saying you want to perform those acts but you have some sadistic something is feeding uh sadism in your soul so you know this is dangerous shit and we like to play it off like it's it's not, you know.
3: I think that's widely reductive and uh, very short-sighted. Go on. And I think you're wrong. Go on because violence has existed in our cultures for millennia, as far as we can back as we can go. You look at the most popular selling book, it's full of violence. It's full of a guy who turns over tables. Uh, a person the who gets, bible the five the bible has a ton of violence in it i of course you know what no one ever talks about the violence in the bible no one ever talks about the violence uh in roman Colosseum. no one ever talks about the violence is inherent to our nature Dude, the because we're animal but let me ask you this Aaron. yeah but the, what are you the- doing tonight
1: I'm I'm watching violence, Chris. Exactly. Yeah. So oh shit. oh so, This is crazy. So crazy is, that, Mr. is that feeding Chris. your
3: sadistic nature, yeah. or is it so. giving you an avenue to get that sadistic nature out? <coughs> Seeing is violence is does not make one violent. It is when you choose to disassociate. And choose to reenact what you are hearing. I completely disagree, even though I did it as a joke before. That video oh, games man. cause violence, and there have been studies. And if you look this at all of these studies, not just the shit that you know John Kerry and whoever is pulling out of a political dumpster, it does not include, include violence because the highest selling video games are related to sport. Are related to community building. Yes, you can always say that a shooting game is going to get people more interested in guns. I'm not saying that. You're you're going to ingratiate yourself in the things that you're interested in. But to simply say that media and giving people the access to it makes them more violent is simply untrue.
1: You're acting like there's no correlation between the psyche and what is shown, what is subliminally into our minds, what we're soaking in, especially in different cultures. And and you wanna drag in the UFC to this, I'd love to. Sure. To me, the, the UFC is that I am watching art, I'm watching discipline, I'm watching a controlled environment where we have referees, and yes, there's violence, yes, people get hurt, but I am watching years of dedication, years of mastery, I'm watching something, a chess game, a body chess game unfold. And more than just uh, physical violence, I'm watching great minds move. I mean, the UFC and like a violent video game or a violent movie, like these are completely different things to me.
3: How many I news agree. reports do you see of fights going on at bars after UFC fights because one guy thinks that he can throw a mean right hook and the other guy thinks he's a pussy?
0: Yeah, but those people aren't watching it for the right reasons. They're not watching. They're it watching for, it though. What's the difference? They're not watching it for the same reason that Aaron is pointing to, which is they're the same
3: watching point. it. What's the difference?
1: Well, they're taking on. They're drinking. They're taking on spirits. Yeah, they, they're. They have their that own is internal within them problems.
3: Themselves, yeah, which it is already there. It is not unlocking. Yeah, action.
1: which triggers, dude. I sit down with a glass of ice water and I watch six hours of UFC, including prelims, because I am dissecting the the art of jitsu. Mm-hmm. I'm watching how people are countering punches. I'm watching movement. I'm watching mentality, pace. I mean, there's so much going through my mind, and none of it is like, oh man, I hope this guy's nose breaks into his face. You know, like but there it, are
3: people who think that. Of yeah, course. of course. So why shouldn't but we shut down the UFC?
1: I, I don't see the argument here.
3: So if we're going to watch violent movies and if violent video games are going to make our kids more violent, we should stop making violent video games, right?
1: But that's saying, like, you shouldn't go to karate class because it's violent. You shouldn't learn exactly. to defend.
3: That is the exact same argument.
1: But how is this relating? I I don't get where we're going.
3: Right in, we're at an impasse here. Okay.
1: We we have drawn a conclusion. Hey, okay,
3: Aaron, let's let's figure it
1: out in the ring. Yeah, I would love, I would love to fight you, Chris. Well, let's, let's
3: I would not, not like you. to fight you. <laughs> if I got you to the ground, I, I would be
0: okay.
2: It's that
3: striking. I'm done. I agree
0: with both of you in a sense, but I don't think the examples that you've brought up, Chris, are actually defending your point in any way. For example, the Bible one doesn't work because the Bible describes violence. It doesn't propose it, it describes the violence of the very sick society that it's trying to illustrate so that you can set up a scenario where there needs to be a change. You know, it's it's not violent for no reason. It's, it's deeply symbolized to display the very sick society that we have, that we still have today. And with the UFC, I also don't know if that's the example that you would, you would use to, to defend your point, because the UFC, the reason why... It is such a spectacle is because like what Aaron was kind of touching on is it is two people that have trained their whole lives for this very moment. And it's, a it's watching decision-making in a moment where if you make the decision just a little bit too late or a little bit too early, you're going to be in, in trouble. And that's because it's all about watching fear unfold and people dealing with that very real fear in the moment. The reason why the UFC is so compelling to people like me and Aaron is because you get to potentially witness somebody overcome that f- human fear and be sort of superhuman in a moment and so so it's more than just violence um, and so we're we're a bit off the rails of the movie we're supposed to be reviewing right now, but <laughs> But, but bring it I – want, I want you guys to sort of conclude this conversation before we wrap it up because it is an interesting one. The, the, what is the, the question being asked here so we can lay this out? What, what is the argument about? I don't think that
3: the movies that they were watching informed their decisions. I think that it definitely gave them ideas, but the, I, the, the act of going out and killing those people was something they were going to do regardless of whether or not they saw that movie
2: i don't disagree with you i you know um because i think there's a reference to education level in the movie somebody pulls a book out and that's you realize that that's the sum total of his life's education
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh in yeah. fact he was chased out of school. so so was the gentleman that we referenced who was you know snot was pouring out of his nose there was no reason for him to go to school after he had buried his stepfather at 11 uh for fear of assault or perhaps death um so you that's found it that, like, right there you
0: know that's it right there, Paul. You just yeah. nailed it because that's exactly what Aaron and Chris were, were fi- trying to figure out right there is Chris's example. The uneducated man at the bar who watches UFC is going to fight afterwards. The educated man knows what he's watching. The uneducated man will watch The Godfather and go start a genocide. The educated man can just sit there and watch The Godfather and, and know that it's not something that's going to change his person. So what
3: I'm saying is that the top 1% should pay for the bottom 99 to get educated
0: and get stimmies. Violence should only be seen by the top 1% of educated people. All violence should be banned from households from the 99% of people who are not in the top percent of the educated
3: people of the world. Those who commit violence do not get stimmies. <laughs>
2: No, Mr. Sa- Mr. Sanders, uh, Paul Jackson, New York Times. You will be running in 2024 when uh, President Biden sees, sees the White House. No
0: um, <laughs> should we wrap this up? I think
3: so. What's this, oh, this the movie? That I'm we're missing
0: in? prelims, Chris. Uh, prelims, yeah. uh, one one, you, one more scene. I, one scene that we can't not bring up and then we'll end it is when the man who's running for parliament is practicing his speech While Obama is on the TV, he's looking at Obama to learn how to fool the people in in, in, in his articulation. That's fucking magic filmmaking.
1: Now, now, Chris, now you listen here, okay, okay.
0: Is that supposed Hmm. to be Obama? (laughs) (laughs) Well, a little bit. That's now. Why can't we be uh, drinking the water? (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, the water. The
3: American people <laughs> should not be subject to violence and to Indonesian hate. So I propose that we put together a task force to. Now,
0: Chris, I don't think you're
2: getting K, my voice Miles. We're right. here in Jakarta, to the off you're right. Like We've officially Reynolds devolved... Of name, yeah, we're, we're, we're fucking Just off the off rails. Left, we have single origin coffee, single origin coffee. Oh. Welcome to Jakarta. Oh
3: my gosh. So, Yosh, what's our next film?
0: <laughs> Let's find out together. What three did films are we watching
3: feel. next? Okay, what
2: glued, what glued all these three films together? I'm sorry, Chris, you had a theory or you had some factual evidence? Like, you, Did you start the show and say that all three of these movies today were pulled together? Okay, sorry. Nope. Just well, edit that out.
0: No, but do you have uh, do you have something, Paul?
2: Like I that? don't. But we were getting close earlier on. Don't look, uh, don't look now. Uh, what was the point you made? I can't glue it all together, but it related back. Here we to go. Ready? This thing- is it
0: right here. Okay. If we don't, if we don't look at things for what they are, then they will spiral out of control and have unforeseen consequences in a rippling effect throughout the world um and if we blame others and do not look at what we have done ourselves what actions we have done that mimic those of the people we are crucifying then we will forever remain a people of hypocrisy everyone's guilty so everyone shut the fuck up look right at it don't look away dead cinema society 21
3: or are you holding you. up phones? Uh, recording,
2: recording, <laughs> uh, because I was my pencil broke, so I had to record those unforgettable words. Of... Mm-hmm.
0: All right, Chris, let's spin right. that
1: wheel.
3: Pause. Don't we have a film that we were going to throw? Fuck in? it, we're doing
1: three on the wheel. Okay. Let's go. Okay.
3: Let's go. All right, three on the wheel, ladies and germs.
1: No more documentaries on this wheel.
3: No, I took them all off.
1: The First wheel looks. Up. Larger, come on, give me a Hitchcock life of Pi. Yes, yes,
3: Yay! Sto- okay. get some levity in there. Life of Pi is the first. Life yes, the can't wait to see this again.
0: News, Can we
3: tell the people what it's about. No, nope, we'll get that at the end.
1: All right, ooh,
3: ooh autumn sonata wow oh my god ingi bingi bing, is taking bing, over bing,
1: yeah. bing
3: again in the oh, With well,
1: a color hue no less
0: the final i've never out. seen autumn
1: sonata nice sepia tone Jagdala <laughs> svenska Bingy tala ingi bingi
3: ooh <laughs> Oh, Werner Herzog.
2: Oh, yes.
1: This is so good. Oh, this is so good.
3: This is going to be a
0: really interesting month.
1: The romance. So
0: Werner. Wow! So Werner. Yeah, Werner teased us this month, and he's actually coming on next one.
2: That's great.
3: Autumn. So three films are Life of Pi. Okay. Yep, go ahead. Life of Pi, Autumn Sonata, and Family Romance by (laughs) Werner Herzog. Right. So life of Pi A young man who survives a disaster at sea and is hurtled toward an epic adventure of discovery. Wall hold on this last one while cast away he forms an unexpected connection with another survivor, a fearsome Bengal tiger.
0: Snooze fest
3: <laughs> You know she already has some things about that
0: fucking uh, cgi yeah hey
3: man cgi has a place
0: yeah we'll see
3: autumn sonata from ingy bingy a married <laughs> daughter who longs for her mother's love is visited by the latter a successful concert pianist
0: Ooh.
2: and then Ooh. wrapping it up with stars, family romance what you gotta watch that sorry go ahead christian okay my apologies my fault no problem
3: so this is actually the the full uh title of family romance is family romance llc oh my god a man is hired to impersonate the missing father of a young girl whoa holy shit we're gonna get a lot of and then he became her
0: father (laughs) this is a film right it's
3: a yeah
2: you're either on board in the first five to ten or you're you're gonna give it a sinking six.
0: Okay. Well, it looks like you got everyone stoked. Aaron got one of his. You guys both got one of yours. Yeah. Um, and then Ingy Bingy was always Bingy. is always interesting. That's so. for everybody. And
3: yeah. guess
0: what, gents? It's
2: on movie.
0: Nice.
1: Yay.
0: Yeah. Wow. We, we we I think we collectively spent a hundred dollars on this on this Mauritanian. <laughs> no, no, well, Mauritanian I spent I spent money on all three of these movies. Oh. Did you guys not?
1: I watched the act of killing for free. And, oh, with advertisements. So did I. It so was. Did I. It was so painful. It was like literally every five or ten minutes oh. there was ads. Oh, I watched. I watched it on on Vudu with a free trial.
3: Nice. But let's wrap this episode so I can pee.
0: Okay. Good job, everybody. Let's freeze frame out.